and welcome to the Clone Star Podcast. I'm your host, Show Hurley. And I'm your co-host, Sean Ferrick. Each week, we will pick five of our favourite episodes from each Star Trek season. So come join us, beam aboard, and let's fly. everybody and welcome back to the tone star podcast i am your host joe hurley and i am your co-host sean ferrick sean we have gotten past the greatest season of all time in star trek next generation season five and we move into season six i haven't watched most of season six in absolute years i kind of had this thought in my head that it wasn't as good as i remembered it and then i started going through the episodes and i said oh my god there's actually an absolute load of quality inside here yeah. Oh no, there really is. And Joe, it is. I think it's because we expected it to be so good going into season six. It's not that it's not. It's not good. But I think was it? Does this sound ridiculous? Was four and five more of a surprise than six was? And so by the time six came around, we're like, yeah, but of course it's deadly. Whereas four and five were like, oh my god, look at what next gen can do now. Yeah, I think you're right there because like you know, the, reading a lot of the behind the scenes stuff like going between seasons three to now like and the writing staff finally kind of settled in its own way and like you've got writers in their late 20s leading the writing staff and just mm-hmm. churning out absolute bonkers quality like we're going through obviously our 10 episodes tonight like but the, just some of the episodes are just throughout this world how bloody good they are like and they're unbelievably high quality um okay without further ado sean what is your first episode um, the scariest goddamn episode of TNG there is. Yes, man of the people. So uh, I'm of course joking. No, um, <laughs> you're hurt. You're oh hurt. You. <laughs> uh, no, it is of course schisms. Oh yes, schisms. Oh, this gave me nightmares. Um, like the the plot is both simple and complicated in the same same breath. It's it's yeah. a horror story. That's what it is. It is a full yeah. on horror story of star trek um it is one that's often brought out i remember vividly the star trek monthly magazine um from the night so i must be i don't think this is an invented memory or i read it a little bit later put it that way because i was alive and watching star trek for star trek uh, season six like hang on uh, a second sorry monthly only came out in 95 did it oh it came out for generations you're right so it, it must be a retrospective then because I still have, like, I still have the original, like, 20, 30 editions at home, like, and yeah. I remember Data being on the cover of one of them, I was on my school tour in 95, I think it was March 95, I think it started Christmas 94 or something like that. I think, do you know what, you're dead right, because I remember, <laughs> ridiculous the things you remember, I remember that cover of Data, because he's crying and he's holding spot and he's got the yellow tear running down his face. No, that's, that's, I think that's, I think that's edition seven. Edition three was just, I think it was season three or season four picture of data. Tilted head? No, it's not the tilted head one. It isn't. I can't. Who was the, who, like, uh, here's an obviously. Who was on the cover the very first one? Oh, I mean, I'm assuming, I actually, because I didn't get the first one. So I'm thinking, is it Spock, Kirk, or Picard? Picard, yeah. Picard, yeah. Um, yeah, I think actually, I think it was number five. I got the Captain Kirk bookmark. So whichever issue that was, that's that was one. No, was sorry, it? that was no. I think that was. I think it was one. I think you're right. It actually was. 
I remember the second one, I think, had a small Klingon kind of um, translation guide. It had a few small phrases in English and Klingon to kind of pronounce them oh, together. I missed that one. I did miss that one. Yeah, the, the Klingon translation one. I remember going, I wish I got that one. I show, how are we remembering this? This is 1995. I was I was I was very much alive. <laughs> Here's I know this is I'm sorry, listeners, this is a complete tangent. Um, a couple of years ago in work, I have a Simpsons picture a day calendar up my desk and every Wednesday it's comic book Wednesdays. Mm-hmm. And um, they put up uh, one of the comic book Wednesdays. It was like it was a, one of the comics they put up and I looked at it and I was there going, oh, jeepers, I have the original of that at home. I showed it to the girls next to me and I said, look at that. I said, I said, I actually have the original of that comic. I said, I even remember buying it. And she looked at the publication date and she stared at me and I was there going, you're about to tell me that this comic was released before you were born, aren't you? And she was there, yep. I was there, yeah, let's just not discuss this any further. Anyway, schisms, let's get Schisms, yes, you're yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> okay, schisms. Um, right, so this is, this is the episode that sets your teeth on edge so mm. you have oh i was gonna say does it introduce mott no it doesn't but mott is in it anyway because more from the yeah. scissors um yes several members of the enterprise crew are starting to show kind of frazzled signs Riker, for example is fighting to stay awake during the greatest poetry recital of all time oh, when i show so don't let me down do you know the words oh to spot felis caddis it's your Something I can't remember. It's ridiculous. <laughs> it's brilliant. And the, the last line is just, you know, I do consider you a, a true and honorable friend or something like that. It's so nice. It's 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 lovely. And it's 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 exactly what you would imagine 90s AI to write. Of course, 2020s <laughs> AI would probably write, you know, a, a sonnet. Anyway, so which it's Sorry, unusual. You, you, you can't go past this without remarking the fact that when Deanna wakes Riker up and he just starts clapping right in the middle of David's performance. I just, I, just, I just love it because, and that's actually, you know, that's such a good thing because that is such a funny moment in yeah. a balls to the wall, terrifying episode. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, over, over the course of, you see Jordy, Wharf, uh, Ensign, Hagler. Ricky. Or well, Ricky. well, effectively, <laughs> may um, as well be Vincent Ricky, uh, and we have Rhaegar as well, not the uh, Targaryen now, but Ensign Rhaegar, um, and they're all you know, they're jumpy, they're you know they're kind of they're reacting, but Worf doesn't want Mott going near him with the scissors, and you know kind of he's a Klingon warrior afraid of a blade. What's this about? And Doctor Crusher makes Ru- the startling revelation that. Will Riker, have you had surgery from somebody other than me recently? And he's like, well, that was that's quite a strange request. Yeah, there's a whole thing going on down at the Star Drive section where you throw him a couple of bars of latinum and they'll lop off a foot for you <laughs> because his arm has been severed and reattached. And this is like, what? Um, which leads to the infamous, and even thinking of it now, I'm uncomfortable, the scene on the holodeck. I mean, this is, if you were doing top 10 scariest scenes in Star Trek, this is in there. It's brilliant because it just keeps on building because, you know, they start with a table and then they keep on, you know, changing it and changing it. And then the uh, when they start doing the clicking noise and basically they're on the verge of total, you know, psychotic episode of breaking down and Riker's there faster, faster, play more, make it more scary. 
and like you've got i always I genuinely right i wonder i wonder about characters who are empaths in these scenes because when we went when we did original series season three there was that mm. version of the empath and then of course mm. you have diana in this scene we see various other empaths throughout star trek and this is a room where everyone is on edge uncomfortable terrified these are extreme emotions in extremely close proximity and i wonder if this is maybe maybe i'm going to critique the writing for a second that wouldn't Hmm. diana be on edge for this whole scene if she's getting this barrage of negative emotion washing over her so maybe i this this would probably be a little criticism of the scene if that was dr crusher of course no problem at all that'd be grand but She's an empath, but then again, a consistent criticism of Deanna Troy's powers throughout Star Trek The Next Generation are, do we have yes. any this week? But I think as well, from a point of view, from a story point of view, you need a neutral person in that scene. No, oh, yeah, absolutely. Because yes. otherwise it wouldn't make sense for all of them because they'd be all on edge, they wouldn't be able to do it. So you need her to guide everybody through this. Again, I'd see it as, as, as kind of, you know, a positive thing with Troy, which in one of my episodes I read today, and I was like, all right, so they've, they've you know, shafted her yet again on something. But um, in this one, I, I, I feel it works because she's the, you know, she's us in that scene. Kind of trying to work it out with them what the hell is actually going on uh, and you're 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 absolutely so you're so right that they need a neutral voice because she's able to ask she has to be the calm voice okay computer can yeah. you add this can you add this so i mean that absolutely right but the scariest the <laughs> scariest moment i've been in this room before we all have. yes it's brilliant yeah oh oh no that and, and um, we've no context we don't know we've never seen this room before, other than like what have we it's the holodeck you know it's but then they they darken it and darken it so they they come up with a plan that you know they will devise a way for Riker to both stay awake and bring a phaser because it's Riker um and but this is not discounting poor old ensign Hegler he dies uh, and it's important to mention that he dies because it's uh, there was a spin-off comic that was in the Star Trek Monthly starring his sister uh the USS Hornet and wouldn't you would you actually believe I have that comic I actually have that comic here in this house in original downstairs oh, no, that is actually cool because I was only did I find it recently I I can't remember if I found it recently it was a bloody good story I do remember that yeah, the comics actually had some pretty good stories. Some sort of yeah, some good stories, right? But look, like with anything, a lot of them can be also duff. Oh, of course, <laughs> yeah. Thought that the one thing yeah. I liked about this episode too is that um, to show Riker being tired, they just wrecked his hair. Riker has perfect hair, always has, always will. Riker's hair is great, and in this episode, it's just it's all over the place from the tiredness. And you're going perfect way to show he's tired. That, and and in fairness, like it, and and it works, doesn't it? You know, kind of frame of mind which is also in season six they, they mess his hair but also season seven parallels they just filmed him before going into makeup and then they had crazy Riker from the wolf 259 universe <laughs> uh, but but yeah he he manages to stay awake and yes he's been pulled into another it's a great scene i think it's a meme now at this point of him being pulled out of his bed through the portal in his quarters portal. and through he goes he wakes up and you see these they're so they're like scaly they're almost like kind of a fish kind of like a turtle mouth they're a great design because they're they're just off they're they're not like yeah. anything but they're yeah. clearly humanoid and they have those giant hands and 
Uh, anyway, Riker's Riker, and he fires his phaser. And and even I'm being dismissive about that, but there's there is no heroics in this scene. This is about getting the f out of there. I enjoy the fact as well that when he phasers your man, it's I don't know what it is about his phaser hit. It's just it's really great because he completely cleans your man out when he yeah. actually phases him. And actually, it, it I if I remember correctly, it sounded like a direct phaser you know, hit to the chest and like that, he kind of actually guides the phaser up as he's actually firing at him to really put him down. Exactly. Like, you know, kind of first rule of phaser club, go down, <laughs> stay down. Um, but yeah, he manages to get Ensign Rhaegar and they get back through the portal. And of course, then you get one of the great cliffhanger endings that has yet to be resolved is a little probe follows them out and just flies away. And that's it. It's never been seen since. So, oh, it is just, it is, it is, I love this episode so much because A, it disturbed the crap out of me as a child. Um, and yes. I'm weird like that. I love disturbing stuff. And it's because it is so tense. It's so tight and it doesn't let up. It gets its kind of comedy out of the way in the beginning. You know, the way yes. so, really, really, really good horror can balance comedy, right? The first Scream movie is an example of good horror. Uh, it balances that kind of satire, the comedy. You can do the laughs and it remains scary. But that takes skill and that takes practice. And that's something, I'm sorry, Star Trek did not have that skill of practice at doing horror. So they were clever. They did, right, okay, up front, there's Felis Catus. We've already introduced there's something not right with Riker. We've done it in a funny way. So we don't know what we're getting ourselves into going into the episode. And then what a bait and switch. Love, love schisms so much. I think as well, like like as you said, probably the scariest moment of all is the holodeck scene. And like, there's no threat there, but it's kind of like, it's almost like PTSD from yeah. all of them kind of, you know, like they start going, Jesus Christ, this is real. This is it. Like we've actually been here. Like, and this is bloody terrifying. It is, it is. Like you're just, you're, it's it's that moment again to bring horror. It's that moment where you're saying, don't go up the stairs, go out the front door. I'm like, Get out of the holodeck, guys. Get out of the holodeck. <laughs> uh, it was. That's Jeez, very, very good. I actually have to, uh, I have to watch that scene actually after we've, after we've discussed this because like every time we do these episodes, I'm often there going, I have to watch this episode that you've discussed yeah. or did that episode or the other thing. But this one, I'm actually there going, I have to watch that scene because that scene is bloody brilliant. It's so good. No, it's there's there's some episodes, and I think we discussed this um the last couple of weeks. There's some episodes of Star Trek which there's there's no question they're excellent episode of Star Trek. They're brilliant, but they might mm. not be so rewatchable. Yes, do, do yes, I mean? yeah. I, I do I do class, and this is going to sound like heresy, but I do actually class the inner light in that. I love the inner light, but I wouldn't be watching it on repeat. It's heavy. But we discussed that with The Wrath of Khan before, and like yes, I said yeah. to you, that it, it's my favourite movie, but I won't watch it because I feel the, if you watch the really excellent stuff, if you watch it too much, you lose your perspective on it. I'll put it this way. When I was younger... I used to watch The Next Generation on absolute repeat, like absolute crazy. And then when it came on DVD, like I was like, oh my God, it's the best thing in the world. I can watch it all as much as I want. But what I did is, I think for my bones about a year, I didn't. I just didn't watch it. And then when I went back to it and I started watching it slowly, I was there going, Jesus, this is, I, I'd forgotten how good it was. So as we've been going back through this, there's episodes that I, I haven't watched in years. And I watched them again going, Jesus, these are brilliant because I'd watched them too much. I'd completely lost 
my perspective on it. Like, there's always a great line from The Trouble with Tribbles in the original series when Kirk says to Uhura, too much of anything, even love, isn't necessarily a good thing. And I always think of that when I talk about watching, you know, the same things over and over again. If you watch too much, you lose how good it actually is. No, I mean, like, you, you're right. It, it, it wears off. There's, there's what, what's that film I'm thinking? Well, sorry, what's that film? Any of them, really. <laughs> um, uh, Terminator 2 I've watched it a hundred times I must have watched it a hundred times I love that film you're never going to catch me saying it's a bad film doesn't mean I'll re-watch it that quickly I'd probably re-watch one faster because I've seen it less times yes um, but like I'd watch like say for instance I'd watch Batman Begins a million times and I love Batman Begins oh, yeah. but I prefer The Dark Knight but yeah. I'd watch like say for instance if I was to sit down and watch any Star Trek movie the most it'd be Generations but I prefer, yeah. I think Wrath of is the best. It's just certain movies you don't mind if you watch them over and over again. But the the really good ones, real ones that kind of are, are a step apart, you won't watch them consistently because, like, it's like the best of all worlds. I try not to watch that because of how good it is. The same with all good things. We will obviously discuss that next week. I haven't seen all good things in years because it's absolutely it's phenomenal. But I don't want to watch it too much. Yeah, no, I I like I felt actually itching. Um, whichever of us picks all good things I think we're both watching it put it that way do you know what I mean like, no I, I was actually going to say Jim we, we, we both have to just accept that it's going to be in as our choice I, because we have to you're right yeah, yeah. 100% yeah yeah. Um, but uh, but like that I, I've been itching to watch it actually I don't know why recently it's been in my head a lot probably what am I talking probably because we're doing these seasons of next gen and I haven't watched it in maybe two years and I just but two years I'd say I, I could probably close my eyes, hit play, and I probably wouldn't I wouldn't drop that many lines. That, that's, no, how, that's how much I yeah. love when I've seen it, you know? Yeah, definitely. You're dead right with that, yeah. Now, all right, so we went from talking about schisms to talking about all good things. So let's come back to season six. <laughs> Show, what do you have for us? This now will be a perfect example of not watching something a lot. Um, I'm like, this episode I haven't seen in years, and I won't watch it for years because it's look at my list here. I was there going, right, go to the heaviest handed down to the lightest. So I'm going to start and I'm going to take two episodes in one. In one, oh, I, I picked Chain of Command. I was going to say, I think so, yeah. Yeah, it has, like I haven't watched this in absolute years. And I remember when I watched it back, why I hadn't watched it in years. It is an unbelievably powerful episode. It is not one you're going to just sit down and go, going to relax here now and watch The Next Generation. This is not an episode to relax watching. It is bloody tough. Yes, and it it's it's an incredible performance from Patrick Stewart, David Warner, Jeeves, Ronnie Cox, all of them. They're absolutely, they're all, like, it's phenomenal. It's just, oh, it's oh, brilliant. I'll wait till you finish the night, but I have I have questions about Ronnie Cox. All right, no, please continue. No, ask him, go ahead. Well, as as you and I are now, we we are we are in a particular decade of our age. Yes. So I find myself agreeing more and more with Jellico. I've actually got that written down here, right here. That I'm I, I'm fully on board with Jellico. I, he was absolutely Nicheyev is right. He was the right man for the job that was at hand. <laughs> we'll get into that. Yeah. Oh my God! What does that say about us? Are we getting old? 
the funny thing was, like, when my recollection of this episode was, God, he was a gift towards Riker, wasn't he? And then I looked, looked back to back, was there going, Jesus, Riker, you didn't serve yourself any in any way at all here. Like, you actually came across as a gift the entire episode for this. Anyway, right, long story short, there is actually a story here. You know me, I often joke about the lack of story in some of the episodes. Mm. Um, Picard is relieved of command of the Enterprise by Admiral Necheyev. Um, actually, Admiral Lechev, first appearance of her, and she is absolutely excellent. She's wonderful. She comes across as just really, really strong and like very much, I'm talking, you're listening, and that's the end of it kind of thing. And she's bloody excellent. Like it's, it was a great introduction for a character. Didn't need to be too much with it. It's just, she's really just kind of a strong female kind of character and it's brilliant altogether. Um, basically, the Cardassians are possibly uh, creating a new weapon and it involved Krieger waves and Krieger waves is something that Captain Picard had experienced it when he was on the Stargazer so he's been chosen mm-hmm. to lead a mission into Cardassian territory to find out what's actually going on for some bizarre reason uh, Starfleet has decided to warp fine I get it but decided to put Dr. Crusher in there as well and Crusher herself is there going like I'm not that fit anymore I can't do all this running and it kind of there going Surely Starfleet has someone else uh, medically trained who could have done this instead. But of course, it's the next generation. So they're going, no, you got to get all three main characters in here now. 100%. And that's that's what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. So when Jellicoe is appointed captain of the Enterprise, he is coming over from the Cairo. And um, like he's, he's sound at the start. Like he's really nice towards Riker. And he's kind mm-hmm. of, hey, well, you're brilliant. Class of whatever it was. You're excellent. And all that. And looking forward to working with you and all that kind of thing. And like when I was watching it back, like he doesn't turn into a perceived ass for ages. Like, like he gets on great with Data, he gets on great with Jordy. Um, but this whole thing with Riker is that like Jellicoe just wants to come onto the Enterprise and he wants to do his thing his way. And there's nothing wrong with that. Like he kind of wants to do well, I'm captain now, like so I want four shifts, like. You know, I want, when I'm on the bridge, I want someone to announce, you know, captain on the bridge, like you know, we've seen that in say Star Trek 2 and things like that. I'm like, I'm kind of there going, this is all fair. Like, why not? Like, he is the captain. It's his call. And Riker just comes across as a prick. And Riker's almost there going, I don't have to listen to this nonsense. And as a result, then Jellicoe starts doing his whole get it done kind of thing. Like, and the more I watched it, the more I was kind of there going, Jesus, Riker, just like he's the captain. Like, you like, where not you like it? Like, if he wants four shifts, like it's his ship now. Like, you, he gets four shifts, like, That's and all this kind of thing. Like, oh, I've spoke to the department heads and they say no. Like, you're going, what? <laughs> They're going, they don't run the ship. The captain runs the ship. This is how this works. Like, it, it, it shows you as well something that I definitely took for granted, um, uh, which was the way Picard's command style is let's run the ship by committee. Even yes. though he gets the final word and he is he's he is a boss when the situation like there's no question the fact that he is the captain, but he's very much run the ship by committee, whereas Jellico, he he will, as you say, he'll get it done. Now, I have a feeling Jellico will run himself into the ground a lot sooner than Jean-Luc will. Yes. But he will get, but he's a micromanager. And yeah, there's and there's two scenes like that. There's a briefing scene at one point, and basically Jellicoe is effectively there going, like, I'm, I'm not calling this for your opinions, like I'm calling this to say this is what I'm doing. <laughs> you're, you're just being told that. Because like Picard would often, you know, have the conferences and just go, opinions, Jellicoe, yeah, that's not gonna happen at all. But again, like at the same time though, you know, he was humanized when like he changes the decor of the ready room and he puts up pictures from his child and all that kind of thing on the wall. And like 
it's something small and it doesn't need to be there, but it's nice to have it there to kind of show like he's not a robot. He's not trying to, you know, be a gowl about this. He is just, and he's a normal guy. He's a Starfleet captain and he's just here now to try and sort this out. I liked as well the whole kind of thing with Troy when he basically says, um, like when Troy goes into him and kind of says, you know, a few people are kind of like, they don't, they're not mad about the change and he's kind of there going, so what? <laughs> like, they'll get used to it like, and then when she's about to leave, he's there going, yeah, I want you to start wearing your uniform from now on. Thanks. Oh, I like, and, and I, it's not that she did nothing wrong. Don't get me wrong. Like, actually, Deanna, yeah. I think, is really good in this episode. I think Marina Sirius is excellent at these episodes. Yes. I don't know why I took such bloody satisfaction Angelico say this, and I, I, I am absolutely fine to be judged for this one. I, I don't mm. know why, but I think it's because I was again, I was seeing it more and more through Jellico's point of view that even what Deanna was saying, which from the audience's point of view of five years of the next generation, makes perfect sense. You know, yes. the, the, the the crew is struggling with the new command structure, and she's right. And he combats with, okay, yeah. Yeah, we could be at war in five minutes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't have time to handle and, these people. Just kind of, you know, you're all professionals. Grow up, like. And that, and that's kind of what it was. And that's where I think, whereas I've got grumpier and I've been a manager and things like that, and you know, kind of like, mm, sometimes, sometimes it, I understand what you're doing, but I did but ask like, you to get something done. But I'm but being a hard ass now. I've just lost all yeah. my fans. I'm sorry, everyone. I'm sorry, Stephen. Sorry, Chris. But as Garden you home. said, like if, if you went from one job to the other, like you wouldn't come in and just say, Oh, I'm gonna keep doing what the other person did. You come in and you go, Well, I need to put my own stamp on this, like I need to do this my way. Like, and like, you know, I'm not saying we're all gonna do Jellicoe's way, but what I'm saying is that you have to be true to who you are, like. And I think like it wouldn't have made sense if in for the context of this episode, if you put in the exact same person that Picard does, because at the end, in the end, like you know, Jellicoe is very combative with the Cardassians. Uh, whereas a Picard type character would be kind of very much talkative. Like you see Jellico lose the plot a few times at the Karatians, but it's more for kind of a smoke screen, like kind of, you know, almost like a vaudeville performance type thing, just yeah. to kind of like, as if to say like, Jesus Christ, this guy's a nut job. Like we don't want to be messing with him kind of thing. Like, and he does it and he kind of walks out of the briefing room with a big smile on his face as if to say, that's it, I'm, I'm putting them off, like kind of thing. And it works like, and it's really kind of good. Like, but like, <clears throat> The first episode is basically effectively just about Jellicoe and taking over the Enterprise and yes, you know yeah. all the stuff happening. But then at the end of the episode, it turns out that the Cardassians have just laid a trap for Picard and they're just wanting to capture him. Like, and the second episode, my God Almighty, it Holy. is brutal. And like reading the background to it, like um, when it went through rewrites, Patrick Stewart was very concerned because he was kind of there going, he he felt that they needed to go fully into it and just kind of go we're committing to this and he was worried the rewrites wouldn't do that and jerry taylor who was you know doing the rewrites with him were kind of there going no like it is going to be as intense as it was before like and my god almighty is it intense like we've seen you know the aftermath and family of what happened with the borg thing but we didn't see like you know we didn't see the internal kind of what was going on with him when the borg were assimilating him and all that kind of thing Jesus Christ, you see it all here. Like it is, it's grim. And like, you know, we all love Picard. Picard's, you know, our hero and things like that. And just to see him stripped quite literally of absolutely of rank, of title. In the end, he's stripped of his own name and he's referred to only by human. And like it's grim, it's 
awful like when they put the pain thing into his body and he basically says this is how it works and like he's just inflicting pain on Picard using this device like and it's just it is so so hard to watch it is it is no it's just like um like I know Patrick Stewart had done a lot of work with Amnesty International he had gone and got tapes of torture um you know to make it as realistic as possible now a lot of this obviously when it was aired so speaking for personal experience like when it was aired, a lot of that went over my head and it like it it's not often that the next generation funny enough that we discussed schisms and change of command but it's not often that the next generation really kind of pushed it when it came to what was for mature audiences and what was kind of all right this pushed it now, it, it's like you said, it meant to, they set out, if you're going to, you can't half-ass this kind of stuff. Uh, DS9 did this every second week, but it's because of episodes like this that they went and did that. There's an inspiration for this episode. Um, sorry, do you are no, you might have this. No, no, keep going, keep going. Not talking, uh, keep going. There's a, a film called Closetland uh, yes. starring, um, hang on, who is it starring? As I as I desperately Google this, <laughs> sorry, Um but it is effectively it's chain of command part two um and it is a two-hander uh it's it is horrifically intense absolutely horrifically intense uh starring madeline stowe and alan rickman um and it's it, it it's like that it's i'm your friend i'm your friend i am the devil i'm your friend and it's just powerhouse stuff and they were saying as well that David Warner like had three days to get ready for the role as well. That's like, right. And he didn't even try to read his, you know, read his script. Like he basically said that he was reading the script like over Patrick Stewart's shoulder, like as he was kind of going through it. Like, um, like even at that, there's like, it's brilliant. Like, there's so much then discussion about the Cardassian society because like this aired just before Emissary as well. So you know, obviously we see a lot more of that. But like, they were talking about the, you know, how. Cardassia was poor and all that kind of thing that the military took over and then you know, Gun Madrid, who's our antagonist, um, mm. is basically saying how the military helped change it and Picard is kind of saying basically, you know, it basically made your society poor like and what the costs of all the wars were to the society as a whole, like, as Picard would kind of want to do, like. Yeah. And like, the whole thing is, is that they want to invade the Cardassians, they want to invade a certain part of the Federation. And they know that if the, there was war, the Enterprise would be sent to Minos Corva. And they're basically going like, you know what the tactical plan would be. And Picard actually doesn't. So basically they keep on torturing him. What I did like as well with this is, I know it's a stupid thing, that the Federation keeps saying Picard is a prisoner of war. But the Cardassians are going, we're not at war. So he's actually a terrorist. He's come to our planet and all that kind of things. So everybody's there going, we can do whatever the hell we want him like, because he's, you know, he doesn't have to be governed by anything, so we can keep on um, kind of torturing him for all we want. Like, but even within all of this, like there's there's a certain amount of humanity that keeps on coming through. Like when McDred's daughter meets Picard, like, and just see Picard in a terrible, terrible state, it's awful. And um, Picard, you know, kind of, it like to the end, he'd be his own man, which, is brilliant because he kind of says to Madrid, he says, when children learn to devalue people, he said, basically, they'll devalue anyone, yeah. like, including their parents, like, just kind of trying to strike back. Because, like, Picard comes talks at one point, kind of says, like, effectively, all torture is self-defeating. And why is it 
that you know it's not a reliable means of getting information. Now he says that off the back of again, you know, it's it's kind of weird. There seems to be a respect from Andre to Picard about Picard's you know knowledge of like archaeology and all this kind of thing, and all. But you don't know is he saying is to be a friend or to be to lull him into a false sense of security yeah. and then try and get all the information out of him. And he tells Picard and like he gives Picard. Um, Cheapers, what kind of egg was it again? It's um, um Haspar egg, wasn't it? Haspar egg, that's it. And he tells Picard, like Picard eats it because he hasn't eaten days. And Madrid tells him a story, and he says when he was a child, like he found a nest, he had three eggs. He ate one, he was gonna hold the other the other two back, but an older boy saw it, took the two eggs and broke his arm. And then you know, he's I think he's he's unintentionally at his guard down. Picard then sees the opportunity. And Picard basically gives a speech about torture being self-defeating and all that. Yeah. And he says to Madrid, he kind of says, I don't see you as a powerful man anymore. He says, I see you as a small boy. And he says, basically, I consider you like a, a pitiable man. Like, And it's brilliant because like Madrid is trying everything to break Picard. And no matter what, like if Picard's going to die, he's going to die as the man he is. And he's kind of there going, I'll fight you to the end, even on small points like this. And the end of the episode then is as the torture continues, like, and um, he turns on the infamous four lights and asks Picard, how many lights are there? Picard keeps saying four and he keeps saying, no, there's five and all that. And like, I don't understand how you can be so wrong. It's like, it's, it's actually terrifying. Like, like, it's. It's unbelievably unsettling, like to watch. Like, like when I was watching it, I was like, "Oh my god!" Because like every time we returned to Picard, like he was, you know, he was like lying on the ground at one point, like and all this kind of thing. And they were going like, "This is Picard!" Like nobody does this, to Captain Picard. And like when the episode, there's actually <laughs> there's other parts of the episode, but you know what? Look, they have to be pushed to the side. There's like one or two other small funny bits, but beyond yeah, that, sure. you believe them to one side because like. At the end of the episode, Picard returns to the Enterprise. He's like, it's all about, you know, he talks to Deanna and obviously this it's weeks later. And he says to Deanna, like, that, you know, in the end, like, he thought he, he did think he actually saw five lights, like. And like, you know, it's just, it's, this is an episode that needed a follow-up. In the same way Best of the World Part 2 had family, this needed a follow-up. Like, the follow-up episode to this is Ship in a Bottle. And you're there going like <laughs> you're right. That well, that, you're right. In, ter- in terms of the very next episode, yes, it's a very interesting schedule. I, I will definitely I agree with you there. Because um, it is because it ends so fast. Like it's just basically like you know, like the Caretans kind of come along and just say, like, you know, clean him up and they bring him back to the Enterprise. And the next thing we see him, he's just he's on the bridge, like, and he just takes back control of the Enterprise. Like you're kind of there going, Jesus Christ, man, you need counseling, like, you need a bit of time off here, like. And just the episode she ends so fast. Like... Now, at the, uh, in one way, ending the episode fast is the right thing to do because there's nothing more that can be said. And to sum, sum it all up by saying, he actually did break me. I did see five lights in the end. And leaving it at that is the best thing for it. But there's no follow-up. And that, that annoyed the hell out of me watching it now because on their own, you need, you, we needed to see a follow-up. We don't need to see Ship in a Bottle next. Do you know what? And I, I actually, I don't disagree with you. Um, it's, but I would, I'm just now, I mean, because actually I can say now because we have Picard. So there is the potential for a follow-up. I think now way too much time has gone by. Like if yes. they're going to do a follow-up, which they might, I would kind of hope that maybe they don't at this stage. 
Um, but I would like to see, because we haven't really seen, or at least we haven't seen much of Picard with Cardassians after this. Mm. They, I think they turned up, well, we'll, we'll find out next week, but they turned up once or twice in... Um, they did in season seven, yeah, yeah. in um, Journey, or not Journey's End. Preemptive. The, Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. But okay, again, cool. I, I, but again, like DS9 was out and it's kind of Cardassians are there now. We just leave them there because there's no point messing around with it anymore at this point. It, it kind of. It was, it was all kind of. Well, I think I can't remember when we covered the wounded, were the Cardassians solely introduced? No, the Maquis were introduced. Well, that was for Voyager. Anyway, yes, I agree with you. Bring them back. Let's do Madrid right now. David Warner, absolutely brilliant. Um, he actually returns. Madrid returns in. Um, I think we've. I've definitely asked you this before, so I apologise for asking you again. But have you read uh, Andrew Robinson's A Stitch in Time? No, I, I I started reading it and I I, I didn't go back to it. Not that I didn't. I was uninterested. I I was. It was a very well written book. Mm, I, well, I'll be honest. It took me a couple of goes. I'll say that now, and I loved it when I got to the end of it. Um, mm. But uh, but Madred is a character in that book, um, oh. and it's interesting what they do with them as well. I I don't want to give anything else away. It's it it is interesting. Um, but yes. Now, Sean, that is my first and second choice. What is your second choice? It's the episode you love so much. It's ship in a bottle. <laughs> I'm not joking. <laughs> I'm does, 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 does the episode start with Picard like you know furiously throwing a glass against the wall? Going, Jesus Christ. I'm trying to deal with what happens on that flipping Cardassian planet. I don't have time for this Moriarty fella. So. No, do you know what it is? It's that the, he's given a promotion to Admiral. He rips off a pip and says, there are four pips. Um, <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I'm here till, uh, I'm here till Thursday. Um, no, Moriarty is the... Vi- well, okay, Moriarty. But anyway, Ship in a Bottle is the very belated sequel to Elementary Deer Data. Yes. Um, and it actually... So this is... So... so in a nutshell, so the, the, the story is Reginald Barkley, our Mr. Hologram or Holograph addiction himself, accidentally reawakens Professor Moriarty, who has been sitting in stasis for the last four years in the holodeck in the Enterprise. And of course, Barkley's just like, you know, I done messed up, didn't I? This this isn't this isn't a good thing. And he's right, it's not a good thing because Moriarty is our precursor to the emergency medical hologram, except he is the emergency I'm a mess you up hologram. Um, and you know he's there I'm back where is Captain Picard although he doesn't mention her by name he's like where is Dr. Pulaski and this is the last reference to Pulaski to date in Star Trek I know there was we might have talked about this in in fact I'm certain we did talk about this in season two but there was that always thing of like is she called by name in Endgame and Voyager no I went and I I checked it and I turned the volume up really loud it's it's somewhere else <laughs> so yes, this is this is the last to date reference of Pulaski in in Star Trek, and because of course this being a sequel to she ha- she was a major player in Moriarty's life at least. Sure. Yeah. Uh, so she is unceremoniously tossed out of the story, and in comes Regina Bartholomew, which I think is an amazing name, and somehow in stasis Moriarty has fallen in love. Okay, uh, no, I think I think they knew each other before. Holmes and yes yeah this is this is definitely not a Holmes episode it, it is all about let's get let's get Daniel Dave I always get this wrong it's Daniel Davis not Daniel Day Daniel Day Kim is the actor from Blink of an Eye Daniel yep. Davis is Moriarty that's right yes cool. yeah and also he's the butler in the nanny and I love that that's right yes. um and then things get absolutely insane 
because where the heck are we? What universe are we in? Are we still in the holodeck? Are we not in the holodeck? And it's one of those great episodes that right up until the credits roll, are we are we in the real world yet? And it also started, so there, there's your story. Uh, Moriarty can walk off the holodeck and we're like, say what? And it's like this great episode where he's like, I'm actually, I think therefore I am, which I, I, John, I choose to believe that that line was written for this episode. And I will now only ever attribute it to Daniel Davis as Moriarty. I think, therefore, I am Descartes. You can get stuffed. Um, I read. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I've got very excited. This coffee is very strong. Because um, it, it, it's just a fun episode. Um, yeah, it's like not very... as fun as Elementary, but it is a fun episode. No, Elementary was, was very different as well. There was, there was slight kind of elements of kind of like you know, tension in it and all that kind of thing. I think, you know, what works with this is like, as you said, when it gets into the realms of like a program within a program within a program kind of thing, like, and again, like the whole episode is saved by Technobabble that they have to, yeah. whatever, dismantle the Heisen something or other, something. And that is basically what was preventing him from kind of leaving the holodeck and things like that. I know, it's, it's, it's great. Look, and it's bonkers. It's all about Basically, by the end of it, you discover it's all about. Eh, we'll give them a happy ending. You know, they were totally in control, really, the whole time. You know, it's kind of there. You go off, you go now on the shuttle, have a great life, and that's fine. And there's one thing I always thought. Sorry, just to just to just want this thought is in my head. And I, it's always thought like it's great, it's great. What happened when the Enterprise D crashed in Generations? I was about How to say priority? that because that was that was the question that I remember someone said as well uh, about what what happened in that situation. No, like in fairness, it's got a lovely ending as well because, like, you couldn't again confine him to the hol- to say oblivion, basically. Like, no. like he says himself that he's been aware the whole time he's been turned off. That basically he's aware of the passage of time. That's right, isn't it? Yes. That's what he yes, said to Barkley. Yes, yeah. I was like, yeah, yeah. When, he, when he first sees Barkley, he, he, I'm pretty sure he tells him that he's been aware of the whole passage of time since he's been, well, supposedly deactivated. Well, that's, and that's kind of hell. Completely. Yeah. Like, but could you imagine the fact awful. that he probably was able to, he was probably alive in the holodeck, so he was probably watching everybody turn on different programs. Could you imagine Riker's programs? Oh, my going, God. Oh, my God. Do you that remember in he watched uh, both the filters get filled and emptied? What was the um sorry cheapers? Why can't I think of it? The perfect mate. And do you remember after Kamala oh, yeah. kisses Riker and Riker just goes Riker Bridge? I'll be in holodeck for if anybody needs me. Imagine Moriarty though. Oh, here's Commander Riker, probably on some form of fishing expedition. Oh my god, what's going on? I can't deactivate myself. I cannot turn my I can't close my eyes. What's happening here? Oh no, I I, I haven't thought about the perfect mate now in such a long time. Oh my lord, you're right. Oh no, thank you. Um it's, it's funny how the story, because remember we talked about this and when we did elementary, um, so the estate of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle were just like, um, please don't do that again. Please pay us money. They Obviously, they had settled everything by the time this episode came around and people were delighted. Yes. But there was another story that was sort of ready to go. It was a holodeck story um, and it was going to so- focus on Picard slowly realizing he's in the holodeck and it looks like Riker's taking over the ship and Riker's gone mad and it's not that at all. They just needed to get Picard out of the way to keep him safe. It's kind and, of like worst case scenario kind of thing, isn't it? Like when you're kind yeah, of thrown is. into a world and 
you're what the hell is going on mm. and and that would be that would definitely make for another interesting because you'd, you'd love seeing it's like the mirror universe episodes you love seeing our regulars completely in different situations yeah Titans. completely yeah but it was ronald d moore said the only person who could deliver the final line of this episode had to be Reginald Barkley because yeah. of his history with the holodeck, because of everything. He had to be the one to just as they were leaving the observation lounge, just to pause and go, or the holodeck, just pause and go, computer end program. And then nothing happens. And it was the only way that we would be satisfied as an audience that we were finally in the real world. Because what? I, yeah, so when Picard and them work out the plan, is it, it's, one program closed and then another program closed and then real life, isn't it? That's that, yeah, that's what it's like. You think you were out of it, but you actually weren't. Yes. Yeah. That's right. And uh, it's just it's just a great twisty turny episode, but it's also it's absolutely zero stakes. Come I mean, yeah, like, and I, like and that's some of the best episodes because like like yeah. some of my episodes, like two of my episodes here are completely like that. There is nothing at all at stake, but it's good crack. Like it's just it's different, it's unique. You've got a wonderful guest star in there who, like, who's larger than life and complete. Like every scene he's in, you just want to listen to him talk because he's bloody brilliant. And well, actually, it's that, a great... uh, I was going to say, that was good. Well, I don't know if you're ready to discuss that one. You're like, hmm, I wonder which episode you're talking about, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> which episode could I perhaps be referring to? <laughs> um, well, look, that's, uh, to be honest, there's not really an awful lot to say. It's just a wonderful, fun episode. Uh, Stephanie Beecham is fantastic as Regina Bartholomew. She camps it up to the nines. Yeah. She's absolutely brilliant. She, she totally sells that she is a Edwardian, no, Victorian um, um, countess. Mm. Uh, and Moriarty, like, he's not evil in this. He's no, just, he's I'm, holding he's the, I'm holding the, I want, I want to leave. I, I, yeah. Help me to help you. That's what yes. Moriarty is in this. Uh, and it's just it's just great fun, um, but but it's funny you should say as it also after that it's like yeah it's great, yeah maybe not after chain of command, <laughs> but, like I would actually maybe have spaced these episodes out a little bit better than they did. Like with Picard's PTSD, like it's it's surprising you can just start walloping Moriarty with like you know blunt objects or something like that. Shut up for Christ's sake, you're a hologram. Really? Yeah, you have yeah, any yeah. idea what I've just gone through over the last couple of weeks? I think, therefore I am. Data, punch the emitters. <laughs> Destroy the ship. Uh, yes, exactly, yeah. Uh, <laughs> right, that's me. Show, what is your third pick, then? Um, there's only one option for this. It is Die Hard on the Enterprise. Yay, it it's such a good Star- episode. Starship Mind. <laughs> it's, my God, what an episode. I had forgotten how much fun this was. Totally bonkers. Absolutely Total departure from anything we're used to seeing in the next generation. John, actually, this would have been a great successor to Chain of Command. <laughs> yeah, Damn you, how dare you try to take my Oh, ship my from God. Me. There wouldn't have been a terrorist left alive to get away from the Baryan sweep at the end of it. I'm pretty sure there was only one Kelsey. That's it. Like, Picard killed the rest of them, basically. Oh, he would have um, held her under the Baryan. He would have held her under the sweep. Yeah. <laughs> so the Enterprise is going through routine maintenance to at the Remler array, where Baryan sweep will just kind of clear the Enterprise of certain particles, but because of the nature of the beam, the crew have to uh, be left, leave the Enterprise. Um, that's our setup. So I really like the very opening scene in this is the Enterprise seems really busy. 
I love you kind of see people walk around getting things, you know, moving things and all that kind of thing. And it's really kind of because like we don't really see it a lot in the next generation. Like if you look at the original series, the Enterprise was always busy because it's a smaller ship. Like and there's a lot of people there. But in the next generation, you never really saw the corridors full. And I like the fact that you see that at the start. And like you just yeah. see stupid mundane things like like Beverly talks to Picard about like, oh, I need to do this. I need to do that. And can we, we might have to do this. He said, oh, look, talk to Jordy about it, whatever. And then like he comes across, um, comes across Riker as well. And Riker saying, well, we have to do this and that and the other thing. Then he comes across Data in the turbo lift. And then <laughs> Data has written a new subroutine for small talk. Oh, God loves Data. <laughs> he just wants to be a part of things. <laughs> it's it is being quite day. <laughs> it reminded me of redemption when Picard thinks Data is staring at him. Like, oh my Picard god, is, yes, yeah. Picard is kind of trying to, you know, he's, what's going on here? And then he's, are you feeling all right? What's going on? And Data explains how to fill an awkward silence with small talk. It's so good. It's, it's so, so good. Like, Do you know who's brilliant. very good at that? Yeah. Oh, it's very good. Yeah. And there's these these kind of just throwing in references. Commander Hutchinson, uh, call me Hutch, um, who will be having a reception down on the planet. And apparently he's a master of the small talk. Um, there's two really good scenes here. Picard finally gets to the bridge and Geordi and Worf are trying to you know get his attention. Do you want to do this? Do you want to do that? Whatever it is and all this. And Picard says, yeah, whatever. Do what you need to do. Whatever. And he's walking away to his bedroom. And then Warp says, basically, can I be excused from the service? And Picard says, yeah, whatever. But you could excuse myself. And then Jordy tries to jump in. And then Picard immediately goes, you know, I cannot excuse my entire senior staff <laughs> from this. But then he turns. But then he says, Mr. Warp, beat you to it. And I just love the smile on Warp's face. The majority is able to say, screw you, buddy. I got in there. I'm not going to this boxing at all. But there again, you know me, I love I love a random scene that doesn't need to be there and it's there and it's wonderful. And Picard leaves the ready room when everything is ready and basically the bridge is empty. I love and that. Well. A, that bit yeah. where he kind of checks out the entire bridge. You know, he's just going yeah. to stand there because it's like you said, for how empty we are. Sorry, speaker. I'm so bad this evening. No, no, no. Um, but uh, for, for how empty we always see the corridors, you never see the bridge empty. Yeah. So it's like it's gone the other way around. Sorry, I, I should look down. No, 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 sorry, you're completely right. Yeah, it's, 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 it's great because it's lovely. It just shows him, because, you know, like, if you want those things, like, imagine if you yourself got a chance to walk onto the bridge of the Enterprise for the first time. There is no crime I wouldn't commit, Joe. But what I'm saying is, is you'd walk on and you'd imagine everything you've seen there all the kind of action you'd go geez i remember data saying this at this console and this that console it was like the very first time i went to say i went to a football match over in, in old trafford and uh, manchester united fan the very first time i was there and myself my friend we'd never been there before and like we were just there going like there was no one on the pitch at this point we were, we were there before the players came out to warm up we were just pointing at different areas in the pitch we we're going do you remember that happened there and that happened there and all that kind of thing. And it's like that here because Picard is just walking around and you're kind of remembering all these things like, oh, geez, you know, that happened at this point, all this kind of thing. And it's brilliant. Again, it doesn't need to be there. And it's wonderful. It just leads straight into the opening credits. And that's absolutely it. Like, yeah. And um, that's fine. The reception takes place on the planet and most of the senior staff, of course, are down there. And Commander Hutchinson starts to go around <laughs> introducing himself to everybody. One of the most annoying people in Starfleet. Um, mm. Absolutely horrendous. And everyone's trying to get away from uh, as much as possible. And when he's talking to Riker, 
Data is watching him and it is one of the funniest things you're ever going to see. And Data just watching the way Hutchinson's, you know, shaking hands, the kind of this, the facial expression. Oh, this, that's where this comes from. Oh, the facial, because that's now become a gift that's being shared on Twitter a lot. Oh, of course. <laughs> it's absolutely hilarious. Oh, it's and ridiculous. Then he goes off like, when he sees Captain Picard and... Riker and Beverly are standing there and then Data just comes over and does a full-blown Hutch impersonation. <laughs> it's just and it's just the expression on like Beverly Crusher and Riker's. What I'd love to know is I'd love to know how much they practiced that. Or was it Brent Spiner in the moment going, you know, you're not gonna know what I'm gonna do, I'm gonna do it. And because like I love I'd love to believe that was the case. That it was like, because like if it was practice, like the laughs wouldn't be as genuine. I read because the laughs I feel are genuine, and I'd love to believe that was the case in terms of how they did. It's brilliant. It's so, it is so funny. It's absolutely, it's outrageously good how good it is. Like only Brent Spiner could pull that kind of type of thing off. Like this is the kind of I've I've said before, and I'd, I'll stick to it. I like Brent Spiner as data, but even though this is breaking the model a bit, it, it's not. It's data trying. Not yes. quite getting it, and yet the jokes absolutely land, and it's so good. I love these kind of things. Like if we go all the way back, I think it was the outrageous O'Connor back yeah. in season two where he does the stand-up set Your with Kapoor, yeah, yeah, and it's still like this, and it's not the greatest scene in Star Trek, but it's still <laughs> fun, you know. Um, and it's because but for it's data, like it, 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 yeah, it's just data impersonating somebody else. Like it's not a him himself being himself and all that kind of thing. But like you know, when he starts talking to Hutch, then like it's complete nonsense. Like they're not talking about anything. Like I talking know. about like yeah, it's, it's 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 genius. Like it's absolutely brilliant. There's also then when Picard is kind of there going, he wants to try and get away as quickly as possible. It turns out that there's some riding trails nearby, and Picard says, "Oh, there's a riding trail." You say, "I have a saddle back on the Enterprise," and I love the fact that. <laughs> The line most serious writers have their own saddle is said three times. And it's the second time when it's said by Jordy, Jordy says it in such a kind of a like it's a mock fat, matter of fact kind of way. He's got there, everybody knows, you know, serious writers have their own saddle. Like they know it's a total ruse by Picard to say, I'm getting the hell out of here. And I love the fact that, uh, I love the uh, fact that Picard goes off to, when he's leaving to get the saddle and he's still trying to make up the excuses and he turns around, and he's trying to walk out the door and he walks into the wall. <laughs> <laughs> it's just totally pointless it's wonderful i think it's absolutely yes and you know me i love a reference to any other federation starship and i do like the fact that hutch says the uss magellan when they were there for their thing they put on a talent show and i'm there going absolutely stupidly no nonsense point i love it because it's a reference to starfleet festival that we don't see and i'm very happy to hear that um so car goes back to the enterprise but and he gets a saddle, but it turns out there's something amiss. Uh, these people are not actually conducting kind of repairs. It looks like they're doing something bad, which Picard ends up finding out is they're stealing trilithium for to create a bomb. Um, so basically, this is where Diehard Enterprise begins. Picard has to now try and sort this problem himself. Main power is now gone from the Enterprise, so he can't get off the ship. So he is now stuck on the ship as well with no way out. So the only way out is he's got to follow these terrorists and find out what's actually going on. Mm. Um, like it's 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 actually a good setup all the way. And then like when it gets into it, Jesus Christ, does it get into it? It's absolutely glass. Like Picard really comes across as like like he leaves a lot of people for dead. Like in this, like like oh yeah, no, like he's he's literally no he what's the name John McClane. He is John McClane. Like there's no two ways about it. 
Like we come across the wonderful Tim Ross in uh, his first starring role, who missed out on the role of Geordie just about. That's true. Uh, this, does this come first or does his DS9 one come first? Because I know that's no, DS9 season one. Three. No, that's as Tuvok. He, he appears as a Klingon. Oh, sorry, 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 sorry. Uh, yeah, no, I think this is it. I think this is it. Great, yeah. I mean, sorry. I was going to say, I was going to It's like, no, no, this is the minutiae we look at. I love this kind of stuff. <laughs> um, meanwhile, on the planet, um, the lads holding the reception with Commander Hutch turned out to be quite evil. And then they kill poor Hutch as well. Um, mm. I know, poor Hutch. And as you pointed out weeks ago, that HD has not been positive to this at all. I'm pretty sure oh. that whoever it was who played the stunt double for Hutch was a completely different ethnicity as well to uh, the white actor who played Commander Hutch. This is watching him back on. Yeah, that's absolutely not even remotely like the actor who plays Hutch. Like, like, this is original series style kind of uh, stunt doubles that we're actually watching here. Like I said, oh dear God. Um, there is a lovely Riker Troy moment in this. It is a tiny thing. Again, usual thing doesn't need to be in there, but it's in there. So they're working out the plan on the surface, how they're going to basically take control of the situation. And Riker kind of walks around to Data and Beverly and Geordie. Geordie's been injured now at this point. And he goes back to Riker, or sorry, Riker goes back over to Troy. And I love the fact that Troy just puts her head against his shoulder. And I mm. think it's lovely. And it's just only, it's something small. It doesn't need to be there. And it's there and it's wonderful. And I just, I, I, when I watched it, I remember when I was watching it, I was like, oh, wait, that's a lovely scene coming up. And I thought it was great. Um, but enough about the planet, who cares? Back to John McClane on the Enterprise. And it's bloody brilliant. So uh, Picard, um, I'm going to keep calling him Tuvok for the rest of the episode, or for the rest Perfect, of my of course, discussion. Yeah. Uh, he takes Tuvok out and has him in uh, sick bay with a phaser pointed at him. But he decides he's not going to kill him. Instead, he just uh, hypo-sprays him. But of course, leaves him for dead because the Baryon Sweep is going to kill him. So he may as well have just shot him at the phaser. Because... It probably would have been, hopefully, that Because what happens if Tuvok wakes up? Uh, yes, I thought of that as well. But unfortunately, well, he's dead anyway. Yeah, exactly. He's eventually captured anyway. And he's brought to engineering where he realizes the whole plan. And um, he escapes engineering. One of the feathers goes off chasing him anyway. And Picard goes down the goes down the Jeffrey's tube, uh, but Picard leaves a trap for him. Now, this is ultimate, ultimate 1980s, 1990s kind of action movie tropes. Um, your man is crawling down the Jeffrey's tube after Picard, and he comes to the end of a corridor, and you see the doors closed from one part of the Jeffrey's tube into the other. You just see Picard's jacket lying over the grate, uh. and he goes over, and he lifts up the jacket, and realizes Picard has kind of, you know, bore a hole into it, and he's gone under, and then just as he does at the Baryon Sweep comes through. And you see him looking up, and the Baryon Sweep is maybe a foot away from him. Steam cuts, Picard walking down the corridor, and then you hear your man screaming in pain as he's murdered down there. Yes! Absolute. Wonderful. Jean-Luc probably should be brought up on charges. (laughs) I mean, like, defend your ship? Absolutely, yes. But within reason. Um, it gets better then, of course, because what does Picard do? He says, right, it's time to retake my ship. So they're going, I'm going straight to Warp's quarters. <laughs> it's Picard. time to retake my ship. So it's up to this point, I was just having to laugh. Now, sorry. <laughs> now I'm annoyed. <laughs> so Picard is there straight to Warp's quarters and decides he's going to uh, grab a crossbow because why wouldn't he? And of course, 
Now, I'm debating leaving this bit of trivia to the end of the episode, or I do it now. And you're not going to do it now. Okay. There's a wonderful Code of Honor reference inside here as well. And would you believe... Is it the glove? Yes, the gloves and wharf quarters. That's right. I was not going to discuss Code of Honor uh, ever again. Then I saw it referenced here in the trivia section. And well, I was well, there you know what? This it's week, a sign. There's no, 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 this week, the episode was there. It was there to tell you to do it. So that's... Yes. Yeah, 100%. I nearly didn't pick this episode. It was a toss up between this and True Q, but I said, no, no, I'm going to fix Archie Um There's another, <laughs> there's a classic uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger one liner as well. Picard uh, is basically over, you know, listening to the terrorists and they're discussing what they're going to do and all that kind of stuff. And uh, Picard, you know, kind of, Picard has disguised himself as Mott at this point. He's told him that he's okay. Mott, he's the barber on the ship. Uh, they cop on any of that he's a Starfleet officer, but they don't know he's the captain of the Enterprise. And um, they're kind of saying, oh, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. They're trying to move trilithium resin, which is very kind of unstable. Hmm. And um, Picard is there going, look, the only thing you can do is this, and you probably need a ship and all this kind of thing. And Picard's there, yeah, well, I can get out in your ship. And uh, Kelsey, the leader of the terrorist space, he says, yeah, it's a small ship, there won't be room for you. And Picard says this wonderful line, and he just says, I'll send your regrets. And he just turns off the communication and walks away. And they're going, oh, my God, if Arnie said that in a 1980s movie, you would have absolutely gone, yeah, that's a great line. So Picard says it here, it's brilliant. It's absolutely flipping phenomenal. Um, in the end, Picard is captured yet again, and he is led to 10 Forward, where the final confrontation is to take place. Um, Picard sets a trap and takes out the second to last terrorist, leaving her to be destroyed by the barium sweep. So Picard has murdered yet another person. So we're up to Picard murders one, two, three. Right to count. One, uh, two, three, four. This is the fourth person now Picard has ever did. Um, by the barium sweep. Technically, Picard didn't kill them, the barium sweep. <laughs> For liability purposes. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, the Varian Sweep now at this point is in 10 forward, moving forward. Picard and Kelsey are having a good old-fashioned fight on the uh, on the floor and looks like she's won and she beams out, but it turns out Picard has taken uh, the kind of the safety control part of the casing for the Trident Resin. And Picard watches the ship goes away and blows up. So Picard has won the day. And when I was doing... Yes, another person dead. Five dead in the end, which I'm delighted with. Um... Reading the reviews of this, I love the fact that Patrick Stewart loved the episode. Absolutely loved it. Because why the hell wouldn't you? He said that he was great to be on the, on the ship around the corridor without all the other... What did, what did he say? Idiots or something like that? <laughs> he did not but, say that, did he? Ah, uh, you know, it was all tongue-in-cheek. Like yeah. Michael Piller did not like it at all. Ronald D. Moore um, said about it that like he always wanted to kill people as much as possible. And then when he got this episode, he said, yeah, we're going to kill a lot of people here. Like... It's a total departure. I love at the end of the episode, like they're back on the Enterprise trying to find a saddle. And again, the third reference to, you know, all serious writers of a saddle. But like, it's kind of, you know, like, what's funny is Tim Russ's say Tuvok was killed in sickbay, like, and more than likely, there probably might have been some residual trace of his dead body there. And, you know, they're there just fixing Picard up in 10 4, you know, in, sorry, yeah. in sickbay. Like, I was wondering about that. Like, what happens if you, if you hit the barrier? So does it dissolve you? Is that the whole point? It's to clean the ship. So, like, I don't know. They're like, so are they kind of breathing in the atoms of all of Picard's victims? Probably so, yeah. And here's yeah. Picard, happy, happy out sitting around. Go, that's right. Five of them. I actually killed five of them. Would you believe there were six? I, I have a saddle five. for every death. 
<laughs> um, Starship Mind, brilliant episode. Like, the stuff on the planet is gold. Like, yeah. once the kind of kidnapping happened, who the hell cares? Like, it's, yeah, it's 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 pointless, really. It's, it's like, there's a, there's one good line when Riker is trying to create a distraction and uh, kind of goes up to the leader of the... Oh, actually, the leader of the guys on the planet is Glenn Morshower. We know Glenn Morshower from indeed, Pete's performance. Yes. Yep. Indeed, we do. I know, actually, I don't think, because I haven't seen this one in a while, don't think I recognise him with this one because he's no, got the, the makeup, makeup on. No, the very yeah. strong. Yeah, exactly. And Riker tries to distract him and uh, Riker you know, gives him the old uh, Riker Pam hit to the yeah. face and then Riker gets uh, you know, beaten down himself and then <laughs> Troy says to him, I thought you were going to just talk to him and Riker says he didn't like what I wanted to say (laughs) but beyond that beyond that it's all about Picard murdering people and it's great and it's wonderful and that is my third choice Sean what is your third choice well my third choice is uh, potentially an episode that's going to become it's always been incredible it's one of my favourite episodes but but possibly going to become even more relevant as we go into Picard season 2 Code of Honor it is absolutely tripped um, back to Lee Gossard no it's even better it's the naked now um, and, uh, you know, tapestry. Stephen and Chris are good friends. Will not be happy to hear that this is not code of honor being discussed right now. Stephen, Chris, we're 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 we're, we're, we're very sorry. We're waiting for you guys to come on uh, so that yeah. we can let you do the episode while we go off somewhere anywhere else. <laughs> um, no, tapestry. I'm covering, I'm what, what an episode! Yeah. What an, as you say, what an episode! This is top ten, certainly top ten TNG, if not top ten Trek. Um, the guard a, dies and Q is God. You know, it's, br- it's a brilliant start to it as well because we've discussed yeah. before. Like one of the issues, uh, like when we discussed the bonding, and mm. one of the things I said is that, like, you'd often see incidents happen, but no one is, not even a ruffled hair or anything like that. Like, and the waiting comes up, like Picard's got a massive, you know, basically explosion in his chest, and like Riker's got a huge cut in his forehead, and you're kind of there going. This is cool. This is what we want to see. Like this is great immediately. Yeah, you're you're so right. Um, and and it's it's not like I mean, actually, the bonding is a good example. The bonding was a terrible accident. This is like no, no, Picard took a disruptor to the chest. Like this is this is not good. Um, and it's it's a wonderful life. Star Trek does. It's a wonderful life. Um, yeah. and I didn't like it's it's funny. That sounds like oh, that's quite a reductive way of looking at it. And yet, it is one of the most touching affecting and affirming episodes of Star Trek that there is because I often put this episode on if I need motivation or if I'm a bit kind of lost and I need direction because the whole point of this episode is basically don't waste your time regretting the decisions and the actions of the past all you can do is plan for the future so Picard, he is on the table he is in his dire position that he's in because of his artificial heart which has been set up Samaritan snare you know it's been mentioned before and so Q in an uncharacteristic show of kindness if you like offers him the chance to go back and well all right I can save your life you have to do the actions but I can give you the tools to do that sends him back to the academy which plenty of laughs there you know we see Picard looking like Picard is the 52 years old that Patrick Stewart was while filming this episode. Mm-hmm. And yet he was supposed to be playing at like a 21, 22 year old. Um, we meet his two best friends in the, in the Academy, Corey Zweller and Marta Batanides. Batanides, yes. Who would go on to, I think, Captain the Reliant. Who definitely, she definitely served. There was another Reliant, of course, that Picard served on. Uh, useless information. And 
Yeah, as as events happened in history, the three of them got into a brawl with some Nausicans over a game of Dom Jot, and Picard took a knife to the heart. That's how that's how history happened. And if they were to change that, then perhaps he wouldn't end up with his artificial heart. And what you see then is grown up, you know, Daddy Picard goes in and he listens to, you know, these kids, they're, they're, they're cadets, they're, you know, they're academy members, of course they're kids, they're Wesley Crusher, they're Nicholas Locarno, you know, they're, you know, we're going to go out and get drunk and we're going to be stupid and make stupid decisions and we're going to take on Nausicans in a game of Dom Josh. Don't. But anyway, they do. And they lose because the Nausicans were hustling them. And so Corey says, oh, I'm I'll take care of that now. I'll, I'll go and have a look at that. Too. He's going to cheat at the game, which is how it happened in real life. Real life. But, you know, in continuity, if you like, this Picard is having none of it. And it, 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 there's, there's, there is a, there is a prob- very, very problematic scene that did not age well, which is Picard and Marta, who was 17 at the time of filming. Um, oh. Yeah, that didn't. That has not. It wasn't good at the time, and it hasn't aged well. But mm. back in the academy, they discussed the fact that they had feelings for each other and never acted on them. They do then act on them. We get the hilarious scene the next morning of Picard wakes up and Q is there beside him. Good morning, dear. Yeah, it's very very funny. It's played up for laughs. Uh, but what they were worried about happens, and it's ruined the friendship. So he's lost one friend. He basically physically restrains Zweller from taking on the Noskins. He then loses another friend. And then it's present day again. And Worf is talking to Picard. Like, okay, great. Oh, Picard's wearing blue. Because the whole point of his trip to the past was that without taking those initial risks, he never really got the chutzpah to take the risks you need in mm-hmm. life. He has a chat with Riker and Troy. He asks them, please be blunt. You know, what do you think of me? And they're trying to be polite. Um, and there's just, just obviously Riker gives them, you know, you're competent, punctual, but, you know, not, not very much of a self-starter. And then Troy, I, I don't know if this was kind of put in as a joke or as a kind of a compounded. Perhaps we'll talk about this at your next session. You know, to say he's not a self-starter, he's not really done any risks, and he's in therapy. And so then there's there is a moment of, you know, kind of he's like, all right, Q, I get it. And there's no answer. You know, you're kind of like, oh my God, but would Q leave him to this life? And of course he doesn't. He opens the door and there's Q, and Q's like, Well, what, what do you want? I gave you exactly what you wanted. I let you go back and change the past. And Picard says, I understand now that all of the events that happened up to the point where I ended up on the bio bed had to happen to make me the man that I was. Mm-hmm. Please send me back. And Q goes, knowing full well that you will die on that bio bed, he goes, I would rather die the man I was than live the life as the man I just saw. That's, in fairness, that's an absolutely exceptional line. It's one of the, like, we just spoke about chain of command. And what we said is, like, Picard would be Picard till he's dead. And it's yeah. like, it's as you said, like the whole episode is basically, we all do stupid things, but like, it actually kind of harkens back to Star Trek V as well, when Cybok talks about taking away yeah. pain, and Kirk effectively says like, you know, I need my pain, like, like should I turn left when I should, you know, should I turn left when I should turn right? 
and all this kind of thing like he basically you know it this makes us who we are like yeah. and this completely kind of goes back to it. it also goes back to a great line from encounter at farpoint at the very end of the first uh the first part when Picard says to Riker it says if we're to be damned let's be damned for who we are like and like a lot of it is basically is that be true to the most important person of all be true to yourself um i this is perhaps i'm going to anger all of the scholars out there when i say i can't remember who originally spoke the line but of course there is an episode in the following season that takes its inspiration for the line to thine own self be true yes um so i apologize to all the academics and i will hand back my degree that's fine but it is it's it's exactly what you just said it is it is such a crucial lesson it's whatever you do you you might not necessarily know that you're doing the right thing or you're doing the wrong thing just try and do it with conviction yes you know try not to to kind of dumb it down a little bit try not to half-ass everything you know just try and be committed do what you're doing know what you're doing and you can always you can always admit i made a mistake but if you're if you're just going to tap your foot in here and tap your foot in there you can never read it, or and that's what that's what the point of the episode is about. Now, of course, now Picard wakes up and you know he's laughing on the bio bed to parallel with the last. Oh, time he sorry, was back up, back up, back up, back up. Can't leave without saying the fight scene in the bar is what bloody. I was mid sentence. You weren't. You've gone. Did the middle of the my sentence interrupt the beginning gone, of yours? I'm terribly sorry. You've gone, you've gone beyond it. You said that he was Which the was about to parallel no, with the laughter no, when he wasn't. takes the knife in the yeah. heart. Was the end no. of my sentence. Hang on, Get I'm out. editing this episode. You're gone. You're out of this episode. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Sean's Star Trek Next Generation Season Six. <laughs> God, look at him! Look at him there. You I was sitting there waiting for you to talk about the bar fight. The bar fight's bloody brilliant. Oh, <laughs> oh God. God. So it was. But you're absolutely right. It's brilliant. It is, it yeah. is very, very good because it's so original series as well. Yeah. You know, because it is serious, but also it's not. And that's what's the great thing about this this high fantasy that we're watching when we watch Star Trek. Because he's fighting a Nosigan in any real situation. That that fight's over in a second. The thing is the I, predator. I think as well. In the Samaritan snare, he actually details the fight to Wesley as well. Like, I think it closely resembles then this fight, which is great attention to detail that they went yep. back and said, right, how did Picard describe the fight? And let's do it that way. And in fairness, the fight really, because there's one thing as well, the how to put it, when you watch Indiana Jones movies, the sound of him hitting someone, it's brilliant. It's a real kind of impactful sound. I think it's something hitting leather or something like that. That's the sound uh, Ben Burt made. But in this, in there was something about the sound of the next generation when someone hits someone else. It's this really cool, impactful sound. And you hear so much of it in this fight and it's dipping brilliant. Uh, oh, you're, yeah, you're so right. It's, it's a fun fight. To, it's quick, obviously, well, as it would be with three Nolskins. Yeah. But yeah, it's... And I think as well, just when, you know, the way the camera pulls in and Q's face when he's sending Picard back and then it kind of pulls out from Picard's face at the start of the fight. And you can see the look of resignation in Picard's face of Beckett. Not only have to fight the Nauticans, I've got to get the flipping blade through my heart again. And that's not cool no matter which way this spins. I love that you're going like, Q... You couldn't have sent me back to the bio bed, no? <laughs> yeah, like, just, just everything was fine. It was fine the way it was. Like, yeah, it, was <laughs> it was grand. Like, uh, so that is we, that is tapestry. Tapestry is just, uh, I mean, tapestry is. It's just if you if you want, it's one of those episodes that it's a bit like 
it's a bit like all good things. It's a bit like far beyond the stars. It's a bit like, you know, these episodes that stand for, it's not just about your character of the week. And it's not just about exploring the stars. It's about exploring as Roddenberry himself called it, the human adventure, whatever that is, you know, whether it's, it's a very reaffirming message, which is the, basically the whole concept. The whole thing is that, like, you know, the, you have to do what you want to do. There's two things as well with it. This also has one of the classic Riker smiles as well. Like when Picard opens his eyes and he's laughing and Riker just smiles. And my God almighty, I don't care what you're doing right now. Find the episode, play it and find that smile. When Riker smiles and it's just, it's just, it's just that wonderful warm smile that Jonathan Frakes has. And it's beautiful and it's wonderful. And I actually, when I met Jonathan Frakes, we were at Dublin Comic Con a couple of years ago, we were talking to him about this episode. And I said to him specifically, I said, it's got one of the great Riker smiles. I said, and he was delighted that I would even be speaking about such a one random thing. But you know what is that? Is that at the end of the episode, Riker talks to Picard about it. And he's kind of there going, was it a dream? Was it this, was that? And I've always said to myself, wait a second, there's an easy way to find out. Like, basically, did you push Corey over, the, you know, like the night before? Did you do all these things? Did you sleep with your one Like, Like, yeah. they'll clean this up in two seconds. <laughs> kind of they're going, it's not a mystery, lads. There's a way to find out. And I've always kind of thought that was the, as wonderful the episode is, that always bothered me at the end of the episode because I'm there going, like, you know, either history happened the way you know it happened or B, because one or the other, that fight was about to happen, like. And well, you're kind of there going. I don't know, but because if he went back and said and set it to rights again. I always took that the last time Q sends him back, it was to the original timeline. So none of the episode actually happened. It just got sent back to that bar and that was no, it. So that, that was how I not, interpreted it. Yeah, that's fair enough. But, but, but the way Picard is saying it, the whole thing he's saying, was it all? Uh, like, uh, and was it all Q's thing? Or what, what, what exactly was it? So that's that, what I'm saying. The early, everything before the fight, he could tear up very quickly. Gotcha. Right. Okay. And what I, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And what I mean is that Q sent him to a timeline where nothing had happened. Like there yes. was no change. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Now we're on the same page. There we go. There we go. Excellent. These things are important. Excellent. Now, right. After all that wibbly wobbly timey wimey nonsense, show what do you have for us next? Uh, we're going into the very relaxed territory now after very high flute and things. Uh, we are going to go with relics. Uh, and I love relics. And there is no storyline relics whatsoever. There's a story, but there's no story. because There's, there's no story. Because it's, it's not a bad <laughs> story, story, is it? No, it's all about the story. The Enterprise finds uh, a Dyson sphere, which is basically a ginormous sphere built around a star. And they find a Crash Federation starship there, the USS Janolan. And on board the Janolan in the transporter buffer is... Chief Engineer Montgomery Scott from the original US's Enterprise. That's it. That's the story. But also not Franklin. Franklin. Not Franklin. Poor Franklin's dead. Uh, uh, Franklin's long gone at this point. Listen, there's no story. There's just there's no story. <laughs> what? Just, yeah. just, look, the Enterprise gets trapped in the Dyson Sphere, as you know, is going to happen at some point. And of course, Scotty and Jordy have to come to the rescue. That's the story. Forget about that. But look, we're not going to tell you about the story because there's no bloody point in it. Um, it's great now at this point because. Like we had discussed about the next generation and its importance in terms of like how it was going to set its own stall out and you know integrating in some of the original cast as that happened. Like when you think of Dr. McCoy in the pilot episode, or sorry, Admiral McCoy in the pilot episode, Sarek in the episode Sarek, Sarek and Spock in unification, and then bringing back 
Montgomery Scott for this episode as well. Um, when he's brought back, there's a few small things straight away is that he's on a 23rd century ship, like as in the movie era ships, but yeah. they actually use the original, tr- original series transporter sound and visual um, when he's actually being on board. Oh, now, right. I, being a bit of a nitpicker, I was there going, come on now, lads, you could have used a transporter effect for the movies, which is kind the of the blue of... lines moving up. like you Considering know, they use the, the executive shuttle from Star Trek 6, they slap a couple of nacelles on it. Yes, effectively yeah. so. You're completely right. Like the um, so it's kind of like a man out of time kind of thing. One thing I found strange about this is that they never really kind of like he said, "Oh, I'm from the Enterprise," and this is how to put it. This is this is where I enjoy the fact that they didn't let the outside world in. In terms of for us, it's holy Christ. This is Scotty on the new Enterprise, but for them, it's a Starfleet officer. That's all it is like. And kind of everyone, he's just an Starfleet officer, so they don't treat him any differently. Like it's just kind of, yeah, he's from the past. That's absolutely fine. Um, there, of course, is the usual kind of continuity error. Scotty is um, talks about the you know that when Riker says we're from the Enterprise, and then Scotty says, "Oh, I bet you Jim Kirk took her out of mothballs and said to save me." But of course, and we know in generations, Scotty witnessed the death of Cap- of Captain Kirk at that point. So why would he think seventy years later that he was still alive? Who cares? We we yeah. we don't we don't talk about that. We don't talk about the fact that both this and Star Trek Generations were written by uh, Demore, but that's fine. It's fine. There, there is um also kind of with the transport ring. So basically, how Scotty survived was that he kind of looped him his own pattern within the transporter buffer for so long. And Franklin was out. Poor Franklin didn't make it. But this is referenced in You Don't Play It. Uh, I know Noah, who's going to be on our show at some point, will be. Um, he knows it. In the Star Trek game, Elite Force 2, oh, yeah. the Enterprise comes across, I think it's the USS Dallas. I think that's what it is. And it turns out a great relative of Mr. Scott's is actually the chief engineer on the ship. The ship has been attacked and they store the patterns of the crew in the transporter buffer. And she directly says, this was uh, something one of my uh, ancestors uh, thought of. Is that really interesting? Yeah, I like that. And also there's an episode of Voyager similar uh, I can't remember the name of it, but basically Voyager is traveling through an area of space where they don't allow empaths or telepaths or whatever the hell it is. That is counterpoint. Yes, and they have to hide them. So what they do is they hide them in the transporter buffer. Yes. Yes. See now. Um, so Scotty comes onto the Enterprise anyway. It doesn't like look a wharf whatsoever. Um, oh, that's true, yeah. <laughs> why wouldn't you? And it's kind of like you see the kind of like you're kind of there going oh sure scott will integrate with everybody and all that and it's kind of it becomes a bit of a sad story very quickly because like everyone's got their own work to do and like there's a there's a whole thing with geordie and i was really interested when i read back on it and all that kind of thing and ronald d moore wrote this because basically they're going there's no one else who can write this because ronald d moore is a massive original series fan and he kind of said that <clears throat> he wanted to draw a comparison between two of them because like Geordi is chief engineer, but Geordi was a bridge officer. And like Geordi isn't married to the engines kind of thing. But Scotty was like for yeah. Scotty, the engine, the ship, like it was basically a person to him and he was completely in love with it. That was and, one thing, actually. How did you feel? Because like, you're probably getting to this, but let me pose yeah. the question to you. Yeah. How did you feel about how Geordi is depicted, particularly in the first half of this episode? Well, like, no, I, I can, I, I get what you see. I think it had to be, I think it had to be in there because 
it's just kind of like it had to draw a comparison between the two different people. And they're very different people. We think they're the same, but they're absolutely not. Like you see certain ways that they're different, right? You see that when Scott, when Jordy says to Picard, I'll have, a, or Jordy says to Scotty, I promised the captain I'd have a report done in the, in within the hour by 1300 hours. And Scotty says to him, but when will it really be ready? And Jordy's there going by 1300 hours, like, and Scotty's there going, oh, you didn't tell him the exact time, did you? And that harkens back to Star Trek 3 when Enterprise does, goes into yeah. Starbase and Scotty, or Kirk says to Scotty, how long will it take? And then Scotty says, eight weeks, sir. He says, but I know you don't have eight weeks, so I'll do it for you in two. Ah, and, yeah. and then Kirk says, do you always multiply your repair factors by a factor of four? And he says, of course, sir. How else do I keep up my reputation as a miracle worker? I love it. It's, how to put it, it's a callback but it's not, it's not beat you over the head with a callback. Like if you're a Star Trek fan, you pick up on it. And if you weren't, it's still a bit of a joke because you're kind of there going, yeah, don't give them the, the, the time. That's great. And like, I think that like with Scotty, it's, it's obsession about the ship, about the engines and things like that. With Geordi, it's not. And like, yeah, Geordi comes across as a bit of a prick towards him. And like, but you kind of feel it like when you see Scotty in his, in his quarters and he's, burning the ear off the off the ensign and then, like he's saying talks about the dull man of elas like from the original series that she was giving out about her quarters and all that kind of thing and like he doesn't want to hear the stories like and scotty's just a guy who he just loves telling stories and like what the you want obviously what they had to do is they had to draw the comparison between the two men and then bring them back together because otherwise there's literally nothing here like it's like the dyson sphere isn't a story <laughs> it's so like Actually, and again, you 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 probably covered this already. I was I was um reading before about the Dyson sphere and your man Dyson who came up with the idea. He said, "I liked the episode. Yep. Complete nonsense." Yep. Um, to which he said himself, his own theory was like, "I was kind of having a bit of fun." Yeah. Um, which I thought was hilarious. I was just like, "Oh, all right, okay," because it's so rare, or at least I felt it was so rare that someone upon a story like someone whose theory that they've based a story on was really that they were still alive yes you know because a lot of starting something oh this theory from way back when or we'll do yeah. a, th- a story about pi or something yeah. you know i was like oh well thankfully pythagoras can't exactly pass comment on this one or fermat's uh, last theorem as well from the royale yes yes yeah. actually yeah. that's, that's the, the great brain teaser there's a there is a deleted scene in this as well it's in the book because i remember i heard it in the audiobook years oh, ago yeah. um where Troy goes to see Scotty and Scotty doesn't really understand yes. what she's there for. And she thinks then that Jordy is sent her and he realizes the college to get annoyed. And that's when he storms off then to 10 forward to have a drink. And then there's a wonderful reference then to by any other name from the original series, when he drinks the synthahol, he hates it. And then data takes out the, you know, the alcoholic drink and he pours it from all different with yeah it's green yeah it's brilliant it's so good then scotty completely langers decides to walk down to the holodeck oh. <laughs> the android at the bar said you could show me your ship <laughs> show me my ship <laughs> it's bloody ridiculous and then he goes on to the this the blue screen of the enterprise bridge original enterprise is from um the side of paradise um, yeah. the episode where uh, Spock gets high on spores and smacks Kirk around as I've stolen from Futurama we're line for line there <laughs> the description of it 
but they were obviously going. They didn't have enough money to build a set, so they got onto one of the fan productions who makes who used to make an original set and bring it around to different conventions. Yep. So they basically said, "Bring that in, and we'll we'll do it." There was a lovely story I read in the background to it. Uh, Ronald E. Moore went down. Load of people like Majel Barrett and um, Cheapers. Why can't I think of his name? Bob Justman. They went down as well, and Ron Moore sat in the captain's chair and he started crying. And I thought that was absolutely so beautiful. And it reminded me back in 2011, I was in America and I went to Washington and I went to the Smithsonian. Oh. There was all these wonderful actual space things. I went to the desk because they were going, someone said, you've got the original Enterprise here. And they were looking at me, yes, where's the skip shops? They're bang, gone. And I basically stood there for 40 minutes just staring at it. And I'm not going to lie to you. I actually cried looking at it because I was there going like, to everyone else is walking around here. This is just whatever a model. I said to me, this is something that completely fired the imagination of an entire generation. Continues well, to do so. They're going. Do, do, do you want? Do you want to feel? Do you want to feel very, very bad for somebody right now? Yes. So a good friend of the pod, Ian Whittington, is currently yep. in Washington D.C. Went oh. to the Smithsonian. Oh no! It's not open until March. Oh my god! Now, he lives in. Sorry, the, the thing is, he lives in England. So it's not like he can just nip back. So it's just like, are you okay? He's like, I've been better. I was like, oh. and because if I'm going to Washington, D.C., I'm sorry. I, yeah. Wonderful architecture, wonderful everything. Don't care. Smithsonian. Gift shop, you're telling me? Gift shop in Smithsonian. That's where I'm going. Well, well, they've redone it over the years. In the last couple of years, they took it out and they completely redid it. And they yeah, make they, it look much better and all that. Because they had the original shooting stand and all that. And I was just, I, I couldn't get over it. I just, it completely broke me because they're going, Christ almighty, this is unreal. It'd be like if I saw the original shooting model of the Enterprise D, I'd, I'd, mm. I'd actually start bottom my eyes Um when Scotty and uh, Jordy are basically the Enterprise now is in the Dyson Sphere at this point. So Scotty and um, Jordy are on the Janolan and trying to kind of just just fix it. And um, you know this is where they kind of well, like Picard has already given Jordy an order, like just be a bit of a friend to the guy for God's sake. And they start having a nice conversation and like you know. Scotty's kind of saying with, you know, oh, it's an old ship, like who the hell cares and all this kind of thing. And Jordy's are going, well, you know, like a lot of the stuff hasn't changed. Like technology hasn't changed. We still use the same types of transporters and all this kind of thing. Basically, they're going like, just because something's old doesn't mean you throw it out. Like, and Scotty seems to appreciate that. And um, when they're trying to get the ship working, I love this. Scotty says to Jordy, do, you know, do this, whatever. And Jordy's there, you can't do that. Scotty's already on about. And then Jordy starts quoting a regulation. And then Scotty starts laughing before he even finishes this. <laughs> he says, forget it. I wrote it. <laughs> I love that line. Love that line. It's brilliant. Because oh. it's total definition of the original series. Every week in the original series, it was basically there going, here's the rule book. It's not going to work. Throw the rule book out. We'll have to do something else entirely. Like he talks about like Cole's start of the warp engines from the naked now from the original series and all that kind of stuff. Because that's what it was. It's bloody brilliant. And the... Um, in the end, of course, the Janolan manages to save the day. The Enterprise there, of course, there's an issue. The Janolan manages to keep the doors of the Dyson Sphere open using its shield. So as Enterprise is about mm -hmm. to escape, they have to destroy the Janolan. But the shields are up in the Janolan, mm -hmm. and they just beam Jordy and Scotty off, despite the fact that we the, know that apparently... The one thing, I give that a no. pass because... No, can't give it a pass, it's no. being squi... Well, actually, in, in fairness, <laughs> right. Okay, right. We don't give it a pass and show's favorite yeah. episode is Code of Honor. Okay, cool. That's <laughs> fine. Yeah. But look, Relics, there's no story. There just isn't. Like, if you're a fan of the original series, you want to see Scotty on board. There was... I loved as well behind-the-scenes stuff as well as the director was kind of worried that he wouldn't... That James Dewan wouldn't be able to pull it all off 
and he was, and they were delighted with you know performance and all that kind of thing. And I just think as you said, because he, apparently James Doohan was one of those people who was a holdout of the next yes. generation, and he was quite critical of it. Apparently, his family had to actually force him to sit down and watch non-season one episodes, and he was actually really able to realize, actually, wait a second, this is actually bloody brilliant. And there we go. So look again, we've another original character um, that was back into it. Excellent episode, wonderful, completely bonkers. And that is my one, two, three, fourth pick. Sean, your fourth pick. My fourth pick is. <laughs> ah, yes. So, so, you know, what, what order am I doing these in? All right. So, my fourth pick is just, it's a lot of fun. It's low stakes. It's the chase. Oh, yes. There's yeah. no stakes in the chase. What? There really isn't. Like, I mean, mm. considering it's this, this turned up, I'm, I promise I'm not plug-in feckin track culture thank you very much for paying me but there was a list recently <laughs> that they did that's a really really it's such a crucial point it's biggest events in star trek that really should have had a follow-up yeah. and i mean the chase is absolutely number one for like really really you're just not going to touch this storyline again anyway so um <laughs> picard is summoned to a darkened observation room or observation lounge uh, yes. Where he walks in and he sees the Kurlanaskios, which is an amazing. No, Kurlan Neskar. Neskar? Yes. What's that? That's the thing, isn't it? It's Kurlanaskios. Is it? Yeah. You sure? Back in your box, Joe. Back Come in on. your box. Okay. <laughs> don't, don't you correct me on the chase, young sir. Young sir, I love this episode. I watch it at least once a decade. When uh, did also, we also I just when, read it on memory alpha as well? Yes. When did we see that? Um when did we see that again? The curl and Nesker. We we, we 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 I don't know when we see that, but we see the curl and Naskius um in the wreckage of Picard's ready room in Star Trek Generations, but it's just tossed to the side. Here yeah. it's treated like the holy grail. Yeah, exactly. Like it's, like, yeah. Oh, it's intact. This is amazing. Ah it's like, all right then. Uh, but the lights come up and Picard's old archaeology uh, professor, Professor Galen, played yeah. by Norman Lloyd, who I will be talking about now in a moment, because holy shit, um, is there to, long story medium, invite Picard on the chase of a lifetime, which is he has effectively found a pattern throughout different DNA samples throughout the galaxy that it's all, it's not random. There is mm -hmm. a design and he has to try and find it. And there's a bit of humming and hawk, but the, the chase, if you like, really begins when Picard says, no, he can't leave the Enterprise. He has, he talks to Crusher about it. He, he says, I never considered leaving the Enterprise, but it does, it awakens all of these feelings of longing in me. Uh, and I like that as well. He never, he said, there was never a question of me leaving the Enterprise. That's, that's not a thing. But, you know, it's the archaeologist in him still lives. So Galen, not happy basically storms out and is, unfortunately, his ship is overrun by Iridians, uh, and he is murdered. And it's like, oh, crap, okay. Uh, it's like, just this old man, there was no reason, there was no need to kill him whatsoever, and yes, they do. Uh, but this then, I suppose, well, terrible to phrase it this way, but this piques Picard's interest. Huh, the murder of my old friend, I guess I better get involved now. And so they take Galen's research, and they arrange, they manage to arrange this jigsaw puzzle, Yep. that has some very obviously missing pieces and they were like oh grand well look where will we go? i was in the neighborhood he said there was i, I can't i actually it's gone out of my head now but it was in this place that was weeks away from federation space 
And he goes, what do you mean you were in the neighborhood? Oh, where they found the Colonel Nascios, which is he was looking for DNA samples. Oh yeah, this episode takes place over months. That's one thing that's never discussed as well. Like this is one of the longest time periods in a single mm. episode. Um, they get to this planet just in time to see it basically burning. The sky's like, oh, that's annoying because obviously the, no, I was going to say the budget was a bit stressed. No, we get, we get the foreshot in a while. But yes, suddenly the Klingons are there. Not there because you can't see them. But anyway, the Klingons struck up like, ah, and yes, it becomes apparent that they're not the only ones who are looking for this pattern in the universe. The Klingons are as well. And then the Cardassians rock up as well. And everyone's got a piece of the puzzle, but no one has the last piece of the puzzle. And the episode, it oscillates between can these disparate races work together? Mm. And of course, what is the great mystery? And of course, these disparate races cannot work together. Um we get the only female goal in all of Star Trek on screen, mm-hmm. Goal Offset, mm-hmm. uh, who's just brilliant. And we get two kind of... Diana Rigg, isn't it? No, I, I would remember if it was Diana Rigg, but... Is it? It's not, but... I thought it was. Who is it now? Who is it? Um, sorry, vamp for Michelle while I find it. Uh, all right, shut up. No, it's Linda Thorson. Sorry. Linda Thorson. I have to say, but I, I see exactly why you thought of Diana Rigg. I get that style of speech and everything. Yeah. Um, but uh, but no. Anywho. Oh. So they all, basically, sounds like a joke. A Klingon, a Cardassian, and a Federation officer all walk into a planet hell. And they're surprised by the arrival of the Romulans. And this is where you know they had run out of budget because they're on planet hell and there was no warbird in the episode. Um, and they all get together and they're like, what are we all doing here? They're looking for any sign of life, any vegetation on this random rock in the middle of nowhere through some fairly Doctor Whoing of a tricorder. Um, Crusher manages to get what she needs. The and then we get Salome Jens playing one of the ancient humanoids who seeded the galaxy with their DNA, which is on the one, the cynic in me is like, right, you're trying to explain away the fact that everyone looks the same. You know, you, yes. this one's got a ridge, this one's got a neck ridge. But actually, it's a beautiful message of togetherness, and you are all much more alike than you think. And of course, Salome Jens, the way she speaks, I'm delighted. Obviously, she comes back as the female changeling in Deep Space Nine. Um, mm. But just that that style of speech is so clipped and yet warm. Uh, as Picard says, um, he laments the fact that this beautiful speech of togetherness falls on such deaf ears. Yeah. Um, now, Ronald D. Moore. It's not said on screen, but you mentioned obviously that he was a massive fan of the original series. He considers yes. her one of the preservers that were introduced in the Paradise Syndrome in yep. the original series. Uh, Miramani's plot, no, yeah, Miramani's plot. This is where Kirk stays there for a month. The obelisk. Yeah, when he when he is Kirok, I believe it is. Yes, um, and yeah, so it's who again like that were an ancient race of aliens. Um, I just, I just love us. You know, you get, you get pretty much, pretty much checkbox Star Trek. You get your scientific yeah. mystery. You get all the alien races. Um, you get, you know, Worf gets to grumble at people, which is good fun. Uh, <laughs> Death stars and, are all solid. And the Klingon captain headbutts Data as well. Oh, of course, yeah. My, my spine is reinforced with titanium. That would not be advisable, <laughs> he says after the fact. Um, although the, there's some great comedy in this. But, like, for all of that, love it all, love it all, love it all. Norman Lloyd, who plays Galen in this, died in 2021 show. That's right, yes. 106 years old. Yep. Um, 
he you can trace Hollywood history through his career because he was in nearly everything Alfred Hitchcock ever did. Um, he was in, I believe it was Orson <laughs> Welles' first film. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Like it, he was in then, he was in Saint Elsewhere as well, wasn't he? He was like I the name the name of the character fails me, but I think he was in it right the way through, as far as I know. Yeah. Um, right up to the snow globe reveal. If you haven't actually watched Saint Elsewhere, do because like if you watch ER, you're never going. Oh wait a second, this is all nicked directly from Saint Elsewhere. I had heard like that. I now I haven't seen it, but I had heard that. And also, isn't that where Mr. Denzel Washington got his start? And that's right. And Ronnie Cox was in it. And so oh, was yeah. Ed Begley Jr. too. So there's yeah. a good bit of, I'd say if you go through, there's a load of Star Trek connections left right and centre in there. Like. Um, it is, but like, like that, again, now this is, I've, I've used this phrase like 17 times an evening, pure Star Trek. Yeah. It's exploring the mysteries of the universe and remembering what we have in common. And then just everyone at the end of the episode going, yeah, we, so we've solved the mystery of the whole galaxy and where we all come from. Anyway, now we have to go on another mission, so bye. Yeah. <laughs> also, let's, let's not give out about the fact that everyone's broken international or like intergalactic uh, treaties by showing up at this planet. Page posh, like, page posh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, there, is, there is a lovely, it's sort of a, to try, try and put a little smiley face on the end of a ending, it's when the Romulan <laughs> captain plays, played by Morris Roves, who I think, again, only recently, he recently passed away. Um, he, the, he addressed Picard scientist to scientist, whereas everybody else was kind of like warrior down on the, yeah. well, down on the planet. Obviously, kind of obviously with the Klingon captain. Unfortunately, they don't point him in a very good light at all. Um, <laughs> and then the Cardassians are just annoying, really. Um, well, I mean, like they're played very well, but they're just like, Oh, right. Okay. Bye. Whereas, yeah, there, it, it, it looks when the even when the Romulans walk into the scene, it kind of feels like ah, we beamed in over there. I lost that as well. You're just kind of like, right, because we're really running out of budget this week. But what I got the feeling is like, ah, thank God. It's all right. Kids, shush now. Mummy and daddy are here. Uh, I love I loved the chase. I love the chase. And it's, yeah, it's about as low stakes as it comes. Huge revelations. Oh. No one cares. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that's uh, that's my show. What what do you have for us there, Joe? You talk about low stakes. I've got the ultimate low stakes. Um, although relics are literally zero stakes. Um, I'm going to pick rascals. Uh, uh, this is just <laughs> your number one dad. Just, just, there's nothing going on here. It's great. I I couldn't get over how much I was enjoying it the last time when I watched it back. Um, very easy episode that could have gone wrong in terms of like kids can be bloody well annoying and these kids were not and it really worked well um directed by adam nimoy would you believe yes i do remember that yes i don't know why i remember that but i do yeah um so basically picard uh ensign Rowe, keiko o'brien and guinan are returning from an archaeological dig and uh, come across something and that starts to break the shuttle up so they have to beam back to the enterprise and when they are they appear as kids oh my gosh hmm. there's young picard and all that kind of stuff so Look, who cares? Anyway, um, <laughs> the story. Um, in the end, of course, what happens is basically 
the Enterprise is called to a planet uh, that apparently is having a you know a disaster or something like that. It turns out the Ferengi with two surplus Klingon ships are actually you know the ones who are doing all this, and they take over the Enterprise within about four seconds because of course the Enterprise only fires its phasers once while getting battered around the place, and then. <laughs> <laughs> in one wonderful scene of Worf being utterly useless yet again, once the Ferengi board the ship, uh, Worf fires his phaser from the security desk at two Ferengi standing in front of Picard's ready room door and misses. And one of the Ferengi shoots Worf because Worf is bloody useless. Um, again, like I said, this episode could have gone absolutely terribly and it didn't. It's um, when you look at it, it's. Uh, they broke it up really well because when the episode started, I hadn't seen it in so many years. I'm actually nearly certain this is the first VHS tape I bought. Oh, it was this no and a fistful of datas was the double bill in the video. I still have the video at home, like, and um, it was you have like, a video player. Yes. Still do. No way. I've over 300 VHS tapes at home, Sean. I have a lot. Like I, I, I've, I have a lot. There's a great Twitter page called Star Trek VHS covers as well. Like, uh, like I've been going through. Going, have that. Have that. Have that. Have that. And um, they're great. Like the the art and all that. The style is just wonderful to have them all. Um, the um, I'm trying to see. I've got some form. Oh yeah, there we go. Um, like obviously it's really like I said. Sorry. When the episode starts, you're kind of there going, why the hell are they picking these characters? Obviously Picard, from the point of view of Captain of the ship, and what would happen if he was suddenly a young man? So the bodies are young, but the minds are still adult minds and all that kind of stuff. And then you have Keiko O'Brien, because you're there going, well, like, then you see an interpersonal relationship with her and being married to Miles, and what would happen there? And then from the point of view of Roe and Guinan, because they're friends, that kind of works then, because obviously Ensign Roe's childhood was pretty garbage, and she doesn't want to go back to being young. And then meanwhile, you've got Guy, who's about 800 or 700 or 800 years old. And she's delighted to be back being a child again, like. And um, actually, the actress who played young Guinan actually played young Guinan in Sister Act as well. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah, no, Joe, sorry, just a, a thought popped into my head there. That's, and now it's gone. No, it's gone right. At, okay, Guinan, great to be a child again. There we go. Sorry. Youth is wasted on the young, and you really get that with Guinan in this. She's just like, hang on, now you are you are all still children to me. Yes, you that's know? right. Yeah, uh, and so I love I, I, I love when Rose is kind of yeah storming off at one point, and she basically says, "Fun is being back at work." <laughs> yeah. And I love in Turbo Lift as well. Um, like going to the bridge, there's Riker and young Picard, and Riker just kind of staring at him, like, and then Picard trying to interact with the crew, and they're all there going. What in the name of God is actually happening here? I like as well when Picard and Beverly are having a conversation in the red room and she's basically there going like, you know, what's going on? Like, you know, and Picard's there going, you're going to relieve your command. She's there going, well, no, I'm not, but I could. And she's there going, look, you know, you have the experience, you have the knowledge, you have the brain, but like, we don't know what's going to happen and all this kind of thing. So I, 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 I appreciate she's very just director and kind of says, look, you know, we need to kind of, you know, change, we have to look at this and what we're going to kind of do. Like, um, he has a good conversation with Deanna Troy then as well. And she's kind of there going like, what do you want to do? Do you want to go back and study archaeology? Do you want to do this? Do you want to do that? Like, you know, you could do all these things and you, when you're a bit older, you'd be a captain again. You could be Starfleet's youngest admiral. There's a great Picard line here then as well. And Picard says about, you know, 
should I do this? Should I do that? Would I go back to being Wesley Crusher's roommate? Mm. <laughs> Why the shade at Wesley Crusher out of nowhere? This is unfair. But he says, then he says, I spent my life looking forward. And I think that's a lovely line. And I think it's great. And he's kind of, yeah, I'm not going to make all these changes as well. We see then Keiko and Miles in their quarter as well. And obviously Miles are going, Christ, what the hell do I do here? And all this kind of situation. And, um, she says at one point, kind of give her, he says, she says, I'm still your wife. And then Miles says, technically, <laughs> just the way she, she grabs his collar and just drags him down to her level. I think actually this is the last time we see them on the Enterprise. I think then I think Emissary then follows up pretty soon after this, like, and they're. Was, um, what, what were the other episodes you discussed tonight? Relics, Chain of Command, Starship Mine. Starship Mine is the one that aired just after Emissary, or at least it was like that. I know in by Starship Mine, Miles was gone. Yeah, because uh, I was, I was, I think I was reading the behind the scenes of it there. Um, so sometime, so wherever Rascal, so it, it, wherever Rascals falls in the order around there, yeah. you, you could be dead, right? So, why am I questioning this? Hang on, you know way more about Star Trek than I do. Anyway, yes, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> like, it's a charming episode, like, because, like, when you think of it, you've only got those four kid actors and then Alexander as well, like, and, like, we know Alexander by now. Alexander doesn't really annoy us and things like that. Yeah. So, basically, it's down to the kids to save the ship, like, which, you know, that's the way they should, like, once they're kids, you're probably going to assume there's going to be something that's going to, you know, threaten the Enterprise, they're going to have to do it. And, like, that could be danger very easily, like, and, like, I, I like for me, I don't feel that the kids were annoying. I really actually enjoyed them as well. I didn't, I didn't uh, think so, yeah. I like the fact, again, there is a sense like the reason that they were that the Frenkie were picked um, as the bad guys, as Jerry Taylor basically said, that it was effectively you couldn't have had the children like trying to avoid like Klingons or Cardassians, like because they just kill the kids <laughs> straight away. Uh, like, no way around. So they gas the whole ship, that'd be the end of it. Yeah. Basically, yes. The, um, like, Ronald D. Moore wrote it, and he just, he didn't want to write it. This is not an episode he wanted to write at all. I had heard that, that he was not a fan of this episode, <laughs> yeah. But the funny thing is, though, like, apparently he said those, a lot of people like it, and he's delighted to hear that. Like, like I really enjoyed this. Like, I wouldn't have, like, there's a lot of episodes in season six I could have picked over Rascal, like, and I absolutely didn't, because I really enjoyed this. Like, like when the Frangie are on the ship, like, there's a lot of, you know, stupid comedy there. There is a bit of, you know, there's a, there is a good scene when, uh, the Ferengi captain basically tells Riker they'll execute all the kids on the ship if he doesn't kind of comply, like, which obviously there has to be a kind of a ticking clock in course, situation yeah. at some point and all that. But um, I love when the, like, there's a, you know, there's always that scene in the 1980s action movies where, you know, it's a bit of a montage. They're trying to get everything done and all that. And that's here as well, like when they're getting the hypo sprays, when they're trying to get the phasers and all that kind of thing. It's really, it's, it's really well done. It's done pretty fast. I love when all that's done. And uh, Alexander said to Captain Picard, he's there going, you know, basically everything's done, everything's great. You know, how are you going to get to the bridge? Or as a Keiko says it, I think, sorry, yeah, I think, you know, how are you going to get to the bridge? I just love the way that Picard just basically, he's there going, yeah, I've, I know how I'm going to do this. Like, you're going to see the utter disgust in his eyes going, I'm going to have to do this, aren't I? And he goes out to the Ferengi then, he's going, I want to see my father. And he just starts stomping his feet and being really kind of you know, annoyed about it. It's absolutely ludicrous. Then he's brought up to the briefing room and he meets Riker and he just gives him a big hug. And you know, <laughs> when he's talking to Riker then about, you know, give us access to, in classroom eight to the, to the ship's computer. 
And he says, thanks, number one. And Frankie turns around to says, he's my number one dad. It's <laughs> one of the best lines. I'm sorry. And the delivery, the the, the young actor's delivery is just... Because the the, these guys, they have a heavy job on their shoulders. It's like, you know, we're looking at Picard. So this yes. poor kid is coming in. like, And it's also... A, I'm going to say nothing. I'm going to say nothing. All right, uh, I, I love the like the, the hug they give each other. Them this big, mad, stupid smile is that it's, it's so ridiculous. And um, I think also stupid thing continuity here. I think Picard says to Riker, "Give us access in classroom eight when he goes back down to the classroom. Classroom seven is on the <gasps> is on the computer. Outrageous! Uh, I um, tell you, cancel the show." I love as well when uh, Riker is explaining the computer to the Ferengi and the Ferengi hasn't a clue. I think Ronald D. Moore said he put it in because it's Technobabble. And he said, this is what Technobabble is like because the Ferengi fella hasn't a clue what's going on at all. And when Picard comes up to the bridge and I love this, Riker just says, right, enough of this. Just absolutely hammers your man as hard as he can up against the bulkhead. And when Picard then walks into, into his ready room and the Ferengi is there at the feeding table I saw the way he just walks in and just up the phaser and he says I believe you're sitting in my chair mm. yes what a line it's absolutely brilliant and the ending then of course oh there was some stupid explanation as to what it was but of course this ending has been used before so effectively it's put them back through the transporter and everything is going to work out absolutely fine which we saw in the uh, unnatural selection in season two of The Next Generation with yes. Dr. Pulaski. And we also saw in the Lorelei signal in the animated series, uh, which was also a time that they used the transporter to do the same thing. But what was really nice is the very, very, very end is basically they've come back to the transporter and the last person left is Ensign Rowe. And she is inside, she's drawing pictures of her mother. And then Guinan comes in and talks to her and she kind of is there going, you know, like, you know, we don't have to do this now like you know like there's going to be the transport is always going to be there and like she talks that she has never really thought about her mother and things like that again as i said to you before it didn't need to be in there and it's lovely and it's a really just it's a lovely way to end this a charming charming episode also we've got to say young captain picard is played by the same actor who played renee picard Exactly, that's right. And yeah, look again, totally low six episode, complete, complete nonsense. It's very, it's it's incredibly enjoyable. I really enjoyed this episode. Um, the Enterprise yet again useless in uh, in 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 a battle. I think as well, Odo actually says this to Worf about this time when the Enterprise is taken over when he's reading Worf the Riot Act in season four mm-hmm. of DS Nine because Worf is trying to make out that the Enterprise was exemplary in terms of all this kind of stuff. <laughs> But yeah, Rascal's brilliant. Absolutely excellent episode. Definitely give it a watch. Sean, round out the night. What is your last episode? So, so I've actually, I'm a dreadful human being. I've changed my last choice because there's an episode I'd forgotten about. Me, I had forgotten about a very important episode of Star Trek. Code of Honor? No. Finally, here we go. We're finally talking about it. <laughs> no, yeah. I, I had picked Second Chances. So I'm sorry to everyone yeah. who was hoping to hear about Second Chances. I was going to go with that. But yes. um, I'm probably heads up when we get to DS9. You're probably going to hear me discuss Defined. So I kind of went, there's enough Tom Riker in that one that will get to that, right? Yes. However, lessons. Well, as we discussed that last week a bit, didn't we? We did. We did. Lessons is in season six. Yeah, we discussed it in part of the inner life. We're allowed to discuss the whole episode, sir. No, I... 
I know that. I said we discussed a small bit of lessons when we discussed the inner light last week. Oh, Jesus. I misunderstood you completely. You're kind of going, Sean, how did you forget it? Sorry. I was like, I thought you were like, no, Sean, we have covered this. We're not. I misunderstood you completely. Sorry, Sean. Um, mm. Right. To expand on our points from last week, yeah. <laughs> we get the uh, we get Neela Darren, who is the new head of stellar cartography. And the episode is many things, but it's it's sort of, I think, a way of addressing well, what happens if Picard falls for somebody on the ship? And it's a way of doing it without doing it with Crusher. Yes, 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 um, yes. Because with Crusher, you have to then deal with their friendship, you know? Mm. And, you know, what, uh, what's happening here? Oh, God, this has gone wrong. We've ruined this. But they don't have to do that. And Nina Darren, I, she's not styled to look like Crusher or anything, but I get a very Crusher vibe from her. Is I it Nina or is it Nella? Oh, you might be right. Why have I got Nila in my head? Hold on. Hold hold on, everyone. Everyone, hold on. Stephen, Chris, hold on. All right. That's that's I could be wrong. I just I I just thought it was Nella. Nella? Yeah. Where did I get Nila from? There's a character (laughs) called Nila in it. I just mash everybody together here. Is what happens when I change my shoes too late in the day. The inanimate anyway. carbon, carbon rod will be replacing Sean Ferrick with the inanimate carbon rod microscopic knowledge of Star Trek Next Generation. I've been saying this for weeks. I've been waiting. I want a week off. In Rod, we trust. <laughs> I wasn't just talking about Rod Roddenberry. Yeah. I suppose we haven't really had like a card love story. Like Vash was like, look, there was nothing there for a future kind of thing. Like, And the Crusher thing was always a will they or won't they kind of thing. Um, So with this, like, it was always going to be an extremely cultured, intelligent, strong, you know, woman that would kind of hugely appeal to Picard. And I thought they got the character very much right. Like, and I like the fact that one of their first interactions, she kind of chastises him for coming into the lab and interrupting their work. Yeah, like I, I, I love that as well because it's a bit like again, who's the only person that can give out to the captain, the doctor? So yeah. Like, you know, oh, you've just like ruined. I sure said, oh god. Uh oh, <laughs> hello. You've rather a lot of pips on your collar, don't you? Um, how many pips are on his collar? Five. There are four pips. <laughs> um, and so, and it's it's quite lovely now. Now, so the episode is quite clever in that if you watch it a certain way. Neela, Nella, uh, you know, Darren, Jim, whatever, um, does sort of have the captain's ear, you know, kind of can, you know, kind of, ah, listen, Riker said no, but Jean-Luc will say yes, if you watch it a certain way. If you watch it yep. another, another way, Picard is right. She's doing her absolute best to ensure the best materials for her team. Yep. It's, it's quite clever. It, it sort of gives you both sides. Yeah. Um, and of course, that's the question that is, if you're going out with a captain, do you get special treatment? And yeah. it's, you know, kind of it's almost easier to say yes. Uh, but of course, to be honest with you, show there's a story, there's a firestorm. No one cares. It's all about who, who gets, yeah, that. Is there, it, correct me if I'm wrong, isn't this the episode when Picard is kind of ecstatically happy and asks Riker to take him on in the game of fencing? Yes. And Riker oh, is yes. Kind of there going, I don't really fancy. <laughs> it doesn't matter as long as you. Ch- ch- 
enjoy oh. it. <laughs> Riker's there. Why not? <laughs> What's going on? Who is this man? Oh, it is... also has one of the most charming moments of the whole bloody series is when the two of them are playing the piano and the rest flute in the most acoustically pleasing part of the shift. And it's flipping phenomenal. And I love the fact that they play it and it shows them playing it. And then the scene cuts the engineering and everyone is kind of looking around going, where's that sound coming from? Yeah. And then the sound just stops. And it's just, <laughs> I love the way everyone in jury is kind of looking around. Even the extras in the background are kind of, what's going on? Where's that noise coming from? <laughs> it's absolutely excellent. I'd and Data just comes in then at the end of it then as well going, uh, what, what, what's going on here? <laughs> oh, it is. It's, it's so, like, it's just lovely. And, and it's, it's also, season six, I'm now wondering, I wonder if it has, maybe not the most, but just so many examples of what you were talking about, of these technically unnecessary character moments that build the character so, so much. Because here's this scene where he plays the Resican tune again. And I mean, it does nothing for the overall story. It does nothing for Cardassian relations or anything. It absolutely just, just reminds you just a little bit again of how important his time as Cayman was, how important his time on Catan was. I don't know, maybe maybe not. Maybe I'm just really into see, I But see, I, I think it all plays into the whole thing of, again, like this is not Vash, this is not Dr. Crusher. Like this is, you know, someone's huge into music like and like he can play his flute and she can play the piano with him and all that kind of thing the only issue i have with it is at the very end when he basically says to her effectively i'm not going to put you in danger anymore kind of thing and you're kind of there going don't think he'd say that that doesn't really work with the character that he'd be so willing to kind of say yeah listen if, if if there was something going on I'd order Ensign Ricky over there. He'd go in to the Jeffrey's tube and die. I wouldn't send you. And like when we, you know, we'll see it in season seven when Troy is doing the command program. Yes. And she has to make the decision to send Jordy in. And like Picard is like a by the book man all day long. Like, and it's just, it's one thing I had an issue at the end when Picard says that to her, because I'm just there going, I couldn't see him saying that like at all. Like, like if it came down to it, Picard would send like Nella Darren into the flipping firestorm to die to do something. Do you know what I mean? Leave Neela back on the ship. Yes, yeah, Neela would be fine. Yeah. And she'd be able to play the piano with him the next day. But, exactly. Um, that, was the, that was the only thing that I had an issue with. I like the fact that she shut him down. She was there going, yeah, look, they ain't, this ain't going to work. I'm out of here. But I just, it, I understand what the whole thing, they're effectively trying to say that love will kind of, you know, make you do stupid things up. They're going, I just couldn't see Picard doing it. And that's one thing that always held me back with the episode because it I, just, yeah. it, 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 it didn't work for me at all. That understand you completely. Understand yeah. you completely. Yeah, because, and I suppose that is a risk of, this is late in the day, next gen. I mean, we only have the one season to go of doing such a different story. Like you said, Vash, Vash is our other love story for Picard. You know, I suppose, uh, Aline, um, mm. but, but uh, yeah, this is where this is Captain Picard, whereas Jean Luc was on holiday. Yep. Um, and and Cayman was Cayman something was else. There, like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, it is, and it's it's strange. It humanizes him. I don't think it goes too far, but yeah, I'm sorry, Neela Nella. I'm, one episode was it did the job and it was very good. And we got that scene <laughs> in the Jeffrey's shoot with that hilarious again. 
the HD remaster. We love you, but that is clearly a backdrop painting. There is no Jeffrey's tube sitting behind you guys. Uh, that's like I, I, I'm pretty sure. If I remember rightly, like we also see it in Starship Mine as well. Like yeah. you're there going, that's the angle's all off the whole lot. Like there's, this is this is this is wrong completely I, here. I wonder if back in 1993 or 92 when they were filming this, it was a bit like, ah, it's all right. There's never going to be high HD enough for people to notice this. High definition will never exist. Everyone's ah, going to be used to watching the grainy in the images here. Oh my god, just so funny, just so funny. So, Sean, um, I think that's our recap of season six completed. It is. So, show, what's your favorite scene from season six? Uh, do you know what? We forgot to do this for season five. That's why I said it, because I know I forgot. So, yeah, I'm just going to. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, like, I was going to say the fight at the end of Tapestry, but you know what? I'm actually going to just push it a few seconds later. Riker's smile at when Picard is laughing and he wakes up and Picard smiles. I think it is just bloody marvellous I love it it actually I, I, I'm not going to actually every time I watch that a tear comes to my eye because it's just wonderful because you know Picard has been through you know that he values his life again and Riker just loves Picard and he's just so he bloody happy to see him alive and it's it's just the most genuine smile and it's excellent that's mine it's stupid it's small it's it's so small but it's wonderful doesn't matter it's you? your favourite that's what's important uh, mine season six um Here's two of you lads. Oh, Scotty yeah, on the yeah, bridge. Yeah, yeah. Um, everything from stumbling along the corridor to the last <laughs> toast. Just, <laughs> oh, um, I, I dare anyone who, you know, I mean, like, obviously it helps if you're an original series fan, but I dare anyone just to see this is a man who is now out of time. Yeah. And he just, good luck, guys. Brilliant. Absolutely uh, brilliant. Yeah, it really is. Yeah, so um, actually, as we're here, what was your favorite scene from season five? Uh, I now have to think about it, actually. Um, I wonder if it's... Uh, well, you tell me yours while I do a quick read. Quickly Google everything. Basically, um, yeah. There's a lot, but I think Picard's last interaction with Sarek is flipping oh, phenomenal. Well, that is good. The music changes as Picard kind of says, you know, I know he's caused you pain, but I know I also know he's your son, you love him. And all that kind of thing. And it kind of builds and it builds and Picard gives him the Vulcan salute and Sarek is trying to, to form the hand for him. Yeah, it's brilliant. It's, it's so powerful. It's so moving. And it's a complete, you know, this, as we discussed, we discussed unification last week. It's a complete kind of sense of the, um, like at this point now, the next generation was completely level with the original series in terms of it didn't have to, you know, at any point anymore kind of say, Please support us. This is kind of, we are the next generation, like, and we can send those drone with the original series. Now, I'm not having to go with the original series saying that. I bloody love the original series. Oh, yeah, yeah. But I'm saying, like, it's, it, it, it just, it's, it's an incredibly powerful scene with some phenomenal music and incredible acting in such a short kind of 30 seconds of TV. Of course. Um, my, my, it's very, very quick, and it's nothing against poor Wesley. It's Picard's dressing down of Wesley in the first duty. Oh, that's excellent. It's because it's an amazing speech, Picardus Brady, and it's because we know Wesley knows this. He just yeah. needs to be, he just Told. needs to have that reminder. He needs to be like, you are good. You will do the right thing. You might need a slap upside the head to get there, but tell me one person who's never stumbled on the way. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. And I love it. Absolutely love it. So, Grant, okay, so 
Oh my God, we're nearly finished the next generation show. I know. I'm not looking forward to. I'm. I'm. I'm not looking forward to finishing it. I'm not. I'm definitely not looking forward to seeing the end of all good things because I always get upset watching that. Anyway, um. So, guys, thanks very much for listening. As always, our intro music was conducted by the one from Martino Vaca, and we will talk to you next week with Star Trek: The Next Generation season seven. Until then, I've been your host, Sean Hurley, and I have been your host, Sean Ferrick. And thanks, guys, for listening, and we will see you next week. See you next week. Bye.